these peak experiences can be really like beautiful and opening and telling and learning and but if we don't integrate what we've learned then what are we doing we're just chasing the high and that's not going to get us anywhere that's not going to get us more present i'm luke story for the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. One of the most common questions I get here on the show is what can I do to support my mood, focus, creativity, and brain health? And for years, I've been recommending a product called Siltep. This is one of the OG first nootropic products on the market. Well, it's been renamed and it's now called NeuroFuel. And the great thing about that is the formula is intact. It still works. It's still awesome, but it now has a lower price. It was renamed NeuroFuel because it actually works to fuel your neurotransmitters and support synaptic connectivity, which basically means more signaling between your brain cells, giving your brain more power. So I find this one's really good for improved concentration, memory, and productivity, but also just for mood because it's giving the precursors and raw materials that your neurotransmitters need in order to put you in a happy mood. And this particular product is made by a great company called Natural Stacks. You can find it at naturalstacks.com forward slash Luke. They have a number of other fantastic products. They have a turmeric curcumin product that's off the freaking charts. They have my very favorite magnesium product. I'm sure you've heard me talk about it on the show because I plug it all the time. It's called MagTech. It has three different types of magnesium that are very bioavailable and don't make you crap your pants, which is a plus. Uh, some magnesium products are really hard on your stomach. Theirs aren't. So Natural Stacks is just a great company overall, and their NeuroFuel is kind of their flagship product. But I really would encourage you to dig into their site and see what else you can find because everything on there is really effective. And one thing I like about Natural Stacks is that they have full transparency so you can see what every single ingredient is and where it's sourced from, which is very rare. There's a lot of really shady supplement companies that use fillers, excipients, and binders and all kinds of crap in their products and sort of sneak it by you. And they do not do that at naturalstacks.com forward slash Luke. So definitely get yourself over there to check it out. If you want to save 15% off on NeuroFuel, go to naturalstacks.com forward slash Luke and enter the code Luke Story at checkout to save 15%. For the past three years, I've been really into red light therapy because I've learned through doing this podcast how important natural light is for your body and your health in general. There's a reason why Juve is the number one red light therapy brand in the world. Their devices are sleek, powerful, they're FDA cleared, and they come in a bunch of different sizes. So you can set them up just about anywhere. I've got one here in my studio that I use when I'm on a break. I have the full elite unit in front of a vibe plate uh, next to my sauna up in the Zen Den in the backyard. And I even have the little Juve Go travel model that I use to uh, regulate my sleep and things like that when I'm on the road. It's actually the single easiest health intervention I do and has some of the biggest results. Now, newer research is also showing red light therapy is great for improving women's hormone health, like thyroid regulation. It's done great things for my testosterone, but it's also really good for women, which is cool. Now, how does one therapy have all of these benefits? It's super simple. 
Our cells actually crave natural light to do their job. And when you give your body the light it needs, everything just works better. So if you're trying to improve your skin, hormones, reduce pain, get better sleep, red light therapy with the Juve is a great long-term investment. To check these out for yourself, super easy. Head over to juve.com forward slash Luke. That's J-O-O-V-V.com forward slash Luke. Using that link, you're going to get a special bonus from the Juve team. They're giving away to all my listeners. And there you can find all the research and dig into the data yourself and see that this is so legit. I also like it because it's a therapy you can do while you're doing different things. So I'll lift weights, I'll stretch, I'll shake around on the vibe plate, I'll listen to music. I do all kinds of weird stuff standing in front of my Juve. So it's great. Get to juve.com forward slash Luke. All right, you fellow cosmonauts, get ready to have your third eye blasted open by today's guest, Allison Pelissier. Allison's a friend. She's also an advocate and distributor for one of my favorite things in the entire world, this very special light known as the Lucia Number no. 3, a consciousness-expanding technology. Allison is an intuitive, a light guide, a cacao ambassador, and an energy worker with an extremely open heart and the most beautiful, happy smile. Allison's life journey has taken her on many paths of service, from teaching children to teaching yoga and meditation to directing international development projects. Encountering the Lucia Number no. 3 light machine for the first time nearly five years ago in London opened up another pathway of expansion altogether, activating her third eye and assisting in the healing of trauma and deepening her meditative practices. Now her work is centered on reminding others like you and me of their own divinity and holding space for people to truly heal themselves with the powerful medium of light. Now, a couple years ago, I was at Paleo Effects in Austin, Texas, where I will, of course, be visiting again this April 2020, when I walked into one of the side rooms and saw this very mysterious flashing white light in the corner hovering over some innocent person's face. Now, the innocent person was just lying there in complete bliss And just all giddy and happy looking. So I, of course, meandered over there and asked the gentleman operating the light, what the hell is that thing and why is that person so happy? Next thing you know, I'm in a gravity chair sitting under that very light, having one of the most profound psychedelic experiences of my life. And there was I, the giddy, humbled gentleman, just experiencing the warmth and beauty of this incredible technology. And from that moment on, as you'll learn in this episode, I became obsessed with finding one of these lights of my own. Now, I haven't exactly gotten that far, but through my research, I was able to find Allison Pelissier. And she's been over to my house on a number of occasions. Uh, One of such occasions being the day we recorded this episode. My friend Ashley was also here, who makes a guest appearance later in the podcast. And uh, Allison took us on a freaky-ass journey, man, and it can only be described as supernatural. And it's just incredible what this light can do. Because when you're looking at it from across the room, you just see some white flashing lights and it looks like nothing. But when your head is under this light, incredible things happen and it's completely drug-free. I liken it to sober ayahuasca. I mean, it's almost that intense. It's just absolutely fascinating. So I was so excited to get Allison on the show And when I find something like this that's very fringe and not very well known, it just brings me such joy to share it with people like you. And so I'm going to encourage you to uh, 
you know, somehow make this part of your life's mission to find one yourself because it's truly incredible. Uh, next Tuesday, speaking of consciousness expansion, I'll be back with a double episode called Jungle Journeys, My Ayahuasca Awakening at Soltara, which is a two-part episode that chronicles my recent sojourn into the jungles of Costa Rica to meet God. <laughs> That's what happened. And then that Friday, I'll be back with a very special bonus show uh, called Choosing Your Ayahuasca Adventure, Arrhythmia and Soltara Side-by-Side Comparison. Because guess what? After I did a bunch of shows about Rhythmia in uh, January 2019 and then went back in December 2019 to Soltara, everyone went nuts asking me, which one should I go to? I want to go. Which one's better? There is no better, folks. Spoiler alert. It's like vanilla and chocolate. They're just different. And they're so different that I decided to dedicate a bonus show uh, next Friday describing the differences. And they're both wonderful. That's, you know, that's the short answer, but it kind of depends on who you are and what your goals are and what vibe you roll with. So next week is a big ayahuasca download, and it's a perfect uh, segue today uh, with the show about the Lucia light. And um, I just told you about one upcoming event that's Paleo Effects, April 24th through 26, 2020. But before that, I'll be at the Upgrade Labs Biohacking Conference, March 27th through 29th, presenting a very special talk on hacking sleep with my friends from Samina Sleep Systems. And then uh, I'll be uh, back in LA for Meet Delic, May 2nd and 3rd. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot of awakenings, a lot of activation going on in 2020. I'm really excited to get this show rocking and rolling for you. I have some fantastic guests lined up. You guys are going to freak when you see what's coming. I don't want to spoil it, but it's going to be a wild ass year. So thank you so much for joining me and getting this year off to a great start. Uh, as At the time of this recording, I'm about to head off to a Joe Dispenza retreat, as indicated in our episode with Joe last week. So when this episode drops, I'll be deeply immersed in Indian Wells, California with Mr. Joe Dispenza. So wish me luck on that as you listen to today's episode with our beautifully enlightened guest, Allison Policier. Allison, the first thing I want to start with is what's new and exciting in your life. Mm, Beautiful. Yeah. So I just came from the Science and Non-Duality Conference last weekend, which was really beautiful. It's a great gathering of people from all over the world speaking about non-duality and also science and quantum physics. You know, it was called From Quarks to Love. So it was a really beautiful oh, that's funny. Yeah, combination. And yeah, it's just been really great. I'm going to be at Odyssey um, in not this coming weekend, but next weekend at 1440 University. Um, I was just listening to the Ram Das podcast this morning and Raghu Marcus, the host, is always plugging 1440 up there near Santa Cruz. It's mm-hmm. one of their sponsors and it sounds like such a dope place. Have you been there yet? Yeah, no, it's going to be my first oh, time. Oh, cool. So I'm really excited and it's a great meeting of innovators and... Um, different leaders. I feel like thought. I need to be your sidekick because you tell me about these conferences I've never heard of and I'm Mr. Conference. <laughs> the hell? Yeah. There's so a lot of your Instagram ones. is tra- is traveling with light? Traveling light machine. Traveling light machine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, so follow her, obviously that's without, goes without saying, but that's literally what you do is you travel around and share this technology and experience with people. Yeah, I'm the U.S. trainer as well. So I give trainings, um, well, both in the U.S. and internationally. 
and I have worked with the Lucia Light for over six years now. And um, initially I was doing a lot of traveling. So that's kind of where the Traveling Light project came out. Um, And now I'm doing, well, I keep saying I'm going to ground, but I'm a Pisces. I'm like double water signs over here. So the flow keeps taking me to new adventures. Um, But I'm working now on actually making a whole online learning platform for people that are working with the light and involved with the light. Um, and I have, I work with some other healing technologies as well, but yeah, a lot of the work that I do is traveling around, sharing experiences, uh, holding space for people to have really beautiful, expansive moments in their lives. Which we just had, uh, it makes it kind of actually a little difficult to podcast. (laughs) I'm like so chilled out. So you guys, we just had a session, um, up in, in my bedroom me and and Ashley and Allison was our pilot and we just uh just took off into the stratosphere for what seemed like 90 minutes mm-hmm. and then I came out and asked you and you, I think you said that was around 35 minutes yeah we did the two like little demonstration sessions and then we you stayed in for about 30 35 minutes yeah it felt like a really long time but in the sense also that there was, you're not sitting there going, Oh, I wonder what time it is. I'm like, time means nothing. Your body's not even really there anymore. You're just having this completely inward journey. And at the same time, kind of an out of body experience. So Mm -hmm. normally when I do a podcast, I'm, I feel much more alert and kind of hyper and nervous, you know? And then I start to settle down as we go. So this is, this is kind of the opposite where I feel like, I don't know, man, do we really have to talk? Let's just chill and meditate, but that would be a really boring podcast. Mm -hmm. So this is the opposite where I'm going to ramp up my energy with my candor matcha latte here. Um, So when you went to this non-duality, you know, kind of science meets spirituality conference, uh, was there anything new and exciting that you discovered there that I should know about? Um. Well, there was a lot of different things that were really interesting. Actually, one that I was pretty fascinated with is about the Kaduma Institute. So it's about like luminal states of consciousness um, in between lives and kind of understanding duality and non-duality. So that was really fascinating. I would check that out. And then, um, and it's also kind of related to Kabbalah. Uh, really? Yeah. Wow, that's an interesting tie-in. Yeah. And then um, I also went to some like quantum physics talks and uh, even to like a Dionysus lecture. And that was really amazing because it's actually talking about women in the cult of Dionysus and how, you know, like people get to these states of ecstasy. And, you know, I'm all about kind of using different methods, mostly without any kind of substances or entheogens, but really to like what takes us into these kind of expanded states of consciousness. And they used to actually go up to the hills and drum and do this shamanic drumming and really get to these altered states. And they had such beautiful experiences and they really like communed with the earth that it really started taking off. And this was back in Greece. And, you know, and so they started, it started building and it turned into like almost a cult. And they, um, well, they called it a cult in the masculine written version of it. Um, But it was, it was just really fascinating because it actually became so popular that society almost became divided and they, Um, they were so threatened, the kind of masculine leadership at the time by this like uprising of connection and expansion and like really open heartedness um, that they 
suddenly decided that, you know, like they put everyone on trial and killed people and people were fleeing the city and anyone who was convicted was was killed. So that was... And what's this called again? um, That was Dionysus. Dionysus. And is this a practice or movement that's still in existence or was this a historical retrospective? Well, Dionysus um, is a Greek god. Oh, I don't know that. And so he... I know Isis... You know, yeah. like the bad ISIS. <laughs> <laughs> someone actually said that recently. It was funny. Someone was like, I saw ISIS in my experience. And someone else was like, oh, ISIS? And like, yeah. no, Did no, they the have a machete? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, no. It's like, no, the goddess, you know. Oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, that's um, Egyptian. I'm not goddess, up on my but... Egyptian, Greek mythology, all that stuff. I'm very ignorant. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, but yeah, lots was that of the thing you were telling things. about earlier that was like harnessing the orgasmic feminine power or something? Or was that? A different oh, thing. No, that's a different thing. Oh, okay. Tell me about that. That sounds really juicy. <laughs> uh, I was just talking about kind of getting into the transpersonal state and kind of doing medicine work. And, you know, we were speaking of ayahuasca and these kinds of um, ceremonies that people are on. And often, you know, it starts with the internal process. And then at certain point, actually in more ancient society, you know, in Egypt and things like that, they would actually have women coming together and um, orgasming. And it would be for a collective um, goal or experience. So I was kind of speaking more to like ancient tantric practices ah, okay. of using energetics in more of a transpersonal way. I just had to find a way to tie that in. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's kind of like Omin, you know, Omin? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Orgasmic meditation. I've done a podcast on it, guys. I forget the number. Um, actually, a couple with this guy, Eli, really great guy, became a buddy of mine. But um, I went and did like the Om training, you know, which mm-hmm. basically involves if you could say like a non-sexual clitoral stimulation, stimulation, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's like, it doesn't escalate into sex, but it's kind of like, yeah, like is, but is stimulation to move. Yeah. Energy. And there's a very set container and it's actually strangely kind of not pervy, but anyway, it's another podcast, go back and look orgasmic meditation. But what I found so interesting about that, and I did practice it here and there a bit after that, but what was interesting about it is it's about, creating this energy field of just unbridled feminine energy. Mm-hmm. And so it's, totally. that's why it's not really, you know, it's a sex thing, but it's not, it's more, it really is kind of a different type of meditation mm-hmm. that elicits that energy kind of using the woman's body as an instrument mm-hmm. and the ecstatic feeling that they're experiencing creates an energy field. I was thinking kind of in the room, but on a quantum level, I guess you could say with enough people doing practices in the tantric nature that there is perhaps an uplifting of consciousness in general, having the opportunity to amplify that energetic field. Totally. Yeah. It's really, Uh, it's, it's fascinating. And that's, you know, I think the thing about Tantra and a lot of people really just equate it with a type of sexuality that's really a limited view kind of from the modern standards. That's like, like you said, pervy or some, you know, kind of, sexual in that sense, but actually it's energy, you know, and the huge fields of energy can come together. And it's really interesting too, because like a lot of people say that, you know, like the CIA made feminism, you know, what it is, because actually the divine feminine energy is very inclusive. And when women come together, it's not about being anti-men. It's about rising up and creating this beautiful field that's really open and inspiring and can really expand in like this epic way. That's so, so funny that you brought that up because I'm 
I'm a big conspiracy guy. Uh-huh. I I love those. T- I mean, they get dark and it gets kind of depressing at one point because once you start finding out the ones that are true that are really dark, it really sucks. But at one point I was looking into the origins of the, I don't know which wave it would be, second wave, whatever it was, um, after World War II when feminism started to rise. And obviously there needed to be um, a balance of power. And so it was the timing was right, but there are documented... Um, pieces of evidence that some of the main activists and proponents of that model of that mindset uh, were put in place to divide the family Mm -hmm. and namely to have two heads of household that could both be taxed. Yeah. And so when all the men went off those brave soldiers uh, to fight in world war two, he had women left at home and these women started to generate revenue and the government was like, Oh, sick. Now we're getting taxes from wifey. Mm-hmm. When the guys come back, their ass is going to go back to work. We're going to get taxes yeah, from those. Double workers. Right? Yeah. So there was kind of this underground clandestine move mm-hmm. with the guys of doing something really cool, which is obviously creating equality. Anyone with half a brain cell knows we need that. Yeah. But I like what you're saying because there are elements. So this is totally off topic. So whatever. <laughs> it's funny. We record. I was like, well, we're talking about one thing. So we'll probably only do an hour. But yeah. this is how it goes. Yeah. But as a as a male in this incarnation right now, and I don't even mm-hmm. think of myself as a man, I think of myself as an alien from some other dimension that happens to be in a body that has male genitalia mm-hmm. and a you know endocrine system that makes me act and do certain things in a certain way. Um, but from the male perspective, a lot of the messaging in feminism that's out now. And thankfully there's some really healthy feminism that's coming out is like, fuck man, they're assholes. You know, like it's an adversarial relationship. And Mm -hmm. I always think that's so short-sighted because as a man and any guy I know that's halfway conscious would agree to this, that a a woman who's consciously embodied in her feminine Mm -hmm. is such a magnetic, powerful force that you can get the masculine to do anything, (laughs) including become more conscious yeah yeah and to become more compassionate kind loving less rapacious less domineering less controlling less destructive on the environment war all that right mm-hmm. like really all it takes to get men to be cooler is to embody your feminine and we just like bow down and worship that mm-hmm. so i want to say to your to your more um you know aggressive hateful feminists out there it's not going to work because you know yeah it's just another type of control and competition right you can't fight darkness with darkness yeah and sometimes i look around like when i'm in a city i look at all the shit that's been built you know you look at train tracks and you look at street lights and there's an airplane going overhead and skyscrapers and concrete and electronics and everything you're looking at for the most part that's part of physical material manifestation Mm -hmm. not all but the majority of it just because it's the nature of masculine to build shelter and to build culture society industrialization you look at like okay this is mostly built by men right why do they do that? These dangerous jobs, you know, going up and like building skyscrapers and, you know, going to war and being in the military and um, law enforcement and firemen, like all of those activities that make males kind of disposable. They're quite dangerous and they work their asses off and they die younger from hauling concrete and doing all the shit they do. And it's like, I look at that, I go, why did it, why do we do this? Mm -hmm. It's for the feminine. (laughs) We're driven by 
biology and by nature and mm-hmm. evolution mm-hmm. to provide that structure. Yeah. And if the femi- the divine feminine wasn't there, guys would just sit around and like jack off and eat Cheetos. Like we would, <laughs> we would not like, honestly, we would not get anything done or build any societies or do anything productive, like make automobiles and computers and all the things that, you know, males typically yeah. dominate in for lack of a better term. So anyway, totally weird tangent, but yeah, no, it's, it's your fault. You got me thinking about it um, with your comment. Yeah. <laughs> Because I was, no, I was, it's true. But I mean, we can bring it back because we can yeah, think about yeah. how you know the masculine and feminine is kind of working together, right? It's energies that are you know instead of looking at it, you know, this is a whole like non-duality concept, right? Instead of we look, we, both the duality exists and the non-duality of the combination of both, and we don't need a society or a way of life where we're trying to do everything. You know, it's like the same thing if you're always in this constant action, 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 action. What about being, you know, if you're just doing, 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 what about being, what about bringing your nervous system back to the parasympathetic, which is what the light's all about, right? Well, you got that right. We want to be active (laughs) doers and, you know, entrepreneurs and CEOs and answering all the emails and doing all the things. And, you know, I see it myself, go to the conferences and meet the people, but it's so important to find that balance, right? The the more feminine aspect in our lives too, where we really take the time to nourish ourselves and to let go into these, you know, deeper states of relaxation so that we can, when we rise back up into action, we're ready, we're prepared, we're there, we're clear, you know, it's like some of the best ideas come from the space, you know, in the hypnagogic light is what we call it. And um, that hypnagogic or liminal space is between being awake and being asleep. And that's where so much creativity comes from and so much openness. You know, they say Albert Einstein used to actually sit and he would hold something out and then basically he would try to fall asleep. And as he was falling asleep, eventually he would drop it. And when he dropped it, he would wake up. And in that, you know, falling asleep, space some of the best ideas and most creative aspects come from and you know we were talking about it even in the experience when you're really focusing on something and trying to control it or trying to get something you lose it you know and instead of like going with so much action if we just step back into that more of that state of being of receptivity of openness that's when some of our best ideas and understandings can really come through so it's not one of those That's beautifully said. Amp you up technologies yeah. like matcha, but it's yeah. uh, it's the one to bring you back down. That's beautifully said because it's like um I think as as a guy and and many of my guy friends that are also pursuing spirituality and more fulfillment, when we first get into it, we're like Oh, I'm going to meditate the fuck out of this. You know what I mean? It's like we use that very yang masculine energy of like, okay, how does this work? I'm going to figure it out. Then I'm going to execute. I'm going to dominate. I'm going to get it done. And it's like spiritual enfoldment is yin. The only yang part of it is perhaps just, you know, a flutter of desire. Like, wow, I'd like to have more peace or more balance or whatever you're looking for. But through technologies like the one we're about to dive deeply into um, and meditation and prayer, it it really does put you in that yen state of allowing. And I think it's it's a really cool sign that now so many men are becoming conscious and, you know, going. I remember when I first started going to yoga 20 years ago. I mean, I was it was kind of dope. But I was always the only guy in class. You know, I was like, oh, word, this is where all the ladies are. 
I actually was not that guy that went to yoga and tried to pick up girls. I don't sure. think I've ever met a girl. Pick- <laughs> I was bad in other ways, but not in yoga class. Okay. But um, but then over the years, point being, this is a hilarious conversation, by the way, so far. Um, but over the years, I was like, oh, now there's three dudes. Now there's five dudes. And especially like in Kundalini yoga, when I first started doing that, maybe eight, nine years ago, I mean, there was, there'd be a pepper of like three of us in a room of 70 people. And now there's like, almost maybe not equal, but it's probably 60, 40 now, you know? And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. Men are starting to realize that to achieve their objectives, even in the outer world of like, you know, optimization and performance and achievement and making money and building and doing and raising money for your family and goals and all of that, that you're much better at doing that. If you do take those breaks to find balance with the feminine Mm-hmm. And allow yourself to surrender into that present moment awareness. Absolutely. Because that's where, as you said, the true insights come from. And, you know, I just did a crazy ass meditation last night, as I was saying, man, I, I figured, I figured out my whole life in two hours, <laughs> yeah. you know, I was like, oh, all the dots are ding, 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 all connecting, you know, mm. it was a, like a goodwill hunting kind of equation situation. like, And it just all became very clear. Mm. But that wouldn't have happened if I sat down. And I was like, "All right, I'm going to write my goals, and I'm going to go, I'm going to get it." Yeah, there has to be time for that. So, I appreciate that perspective mm. and the way that we, us, male and female, embodied people, and even people that are embodied and have they're in a male body and are completely more identified with their feminine, and vice versa. That um, we can all start to work with these energies and become aware of them mm-hmm. and work in harmony and in union to support each other. Yeah. And that I think is really the key to societal structure and success on the macro and on the micro and our interpersonal relationships mm-hmm. to be able to weave in and out of those consciously and know what energies we're working with and become more kind of energetically intelligent. Absolutely. And I think it's like finding the balance both within yourself and what feels good to you in terms of, you know, what direction you're kind of leaning towards and really, you know, using your power in and then how we all come together and dance in those different dances together, you know? And as you said, you might be in more masculine at one point and then move into the feminine in a different relationship or a different role. And I think um, society is becoming more fluid in that way. And, and that's really powerful. It is. Hot damn. Well, we're off to a good start. So... <laughs> Uh, this is maybe two years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, yeah, because it wasn't last year's Paleo FX. It was the year before. And that usually happens in April in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. And um, I, like you, I love the conferences because it's a place where you get consolidated brilliance, right? You can go in there, just every person you meet is doing something amazing if you're at the right conference. Mm-hmm. And I was upstairs there. I was just done an interview and I'm upstairs and I, I see this dude who has a tiny little booth, no real signage. It's not like a big bulletproof coffee. You know, it's just real low key dude. And he has this around light that's about maybe 10 inches in diameter. And it's on kind of a an arm that reaches out over a gravity chair. And it's just flashing these kind of sparkly white light. And there's someone under it looking like, they got the biggest shit-eating grin of their life. Just a real lit-up looking person laying under this light. And I walked by, I was like, huh, that's, you know, why is that person so happy? What's going on here? That It doesn't look like anything special. It's just a flashing light. So that person left and I 
you know, talked to the guy for a second and he's, Oh, I got a long waiting list. And so I got on the list and he told me what time to come, come back. And I came back and he explained it to me briefly. Oh, this is the Lucia. It's going to number three or something. Is Mm -hmm. that Lucia number three? It's from Switzerland, blah, blah. Austria. Austria. Okay. So yeah. So at least I remembered what year I was there, but, uh, so I get in the light. He's like, you know, how used to you, how used to uh, psychedelics and, you know, kind of altered states are you? I said, very, I'd love to get more used to them. Uh, turn it on the highest setting for as long as it goes and let me do this thing. So he did, <laughs> he gave me a pretty full dose and, uh, well, you know, when I do something, I want to, it's like, why? I don't want to ramp up. Just give me the whole thing and then I'll tone it back. You know, that's mm-hmm. always, rather than ramping up, I just ramp down once something's too extreme. I don't advise everyone do that. It's not the smart way to do it, but it's, it's your way. Yeah, It's mm-hmm. my way. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, he puts me on this thing and it was like within five minutes, I was on ayahuasca. I mean, that's the closest thing I can equate it to these geometric shapes, uh, just the visuals, these light shows, this kaleidoscope effect, just completely insane situation that I had no control over. And, you know, I didn't try to, I just really surrendered into the experience. And as it started to come on, so to speak, I was like, okay, cool. I know I'm safe. This is, this is, it's impossible that this could hurt me as far as I know. And I just went into it. And then what happened was my heart started to really open Mm. And I just became ecstatic and so full of love to the point where I was kind of tearing up and just smiling and just having the best time. And I did not want it to end. And that was my introduction to this technology. So I got the guy's card and he's based in Austin. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was like, guys, who's in LA? And, you know, I went kind of down the rabbit hole of trying to find one of these things here that I could use. And lo and behold, eventually found the website or something that got connected with you. Mm-hmm. And you came over a few months ago. We just hung out. You let me try the technology here at the house. And I had another incredible experience. And so, you know, this thing is just, I'm just obsessed. It's, it's so amazing because unlike, you know, taking an antheogen, you know, there's, preparation that needs to take place before set and setting you really want to have a guide um you know and you are a guide when we do these sessions clearly but it's just it's much more of a commitment and then afterward there's a there's a much bigger aftershock and like mm-hmm. when i do a medicine i feel quite sick and just i don't want to walk or drive and I have to kind of lay down and it's just much more kind of there's side effects to it mm-hmm. i think is what i'm saying and mm-hmm. i think the interesting thing about this is other than just feeling really relaxed, like I have been now, um, Mm -hmm. the only side effect is just like, wow, I just, I really just kind of feel like relaxing and sitting around. (laughs) Don't feel very yang and proactive. So I want to know about your very first experience this six some years ago Mm -hmm. when you had the Lucia light experience, what happened to you? Wonderful. So yeah, that's a, that's a good story myself. Um, so Years ago, when I first tried the Lucia, I was actually in graduate school for international education and development. So I was kind of on a different path and I was kind of upset about all that, but um, that's a whole another story. Um, And yeah, I was in a really rough spot. I was actually going through some pretty intense PTSD. Um, So anyone who's experienced that, you know, the nightmares and um, intensity, uh, waking up with like sweating chills and then you don't want to sleep. So then you kind of get depressed and it's like, it all kind of rolls into each other. And 
So I'm one of those high functioning people that no matter what the circumstance, I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't need help. I'm fine. I can do this. Um, so I was kind of powering through regardless of how intense everything was getting. Um, and a dear friend of mine invited me to try this light at an art gallery. And I had no idea what it was. And, you know, I was like, come on, man. It's like hard for me to even leave the house right now. I don't have any money. There was like a million excuses that I had. And then, you know, right at the moment when I, you know, had to make the decision to go or not, I just got this push, like, you have to go. And I was like, okay, okay, I'm going. And I went running out the door and just made it on the train. And it was in London at this art gallery. And so we went in there. And again, I had, you know, no expectation. It was an art gallery. He said it's something about like neurovision or something. And I was like, well, that sounds interesting. Like I'm interested in neural art and, you know, some, I like brain things. So I was like, you know, intrigued, but I had no expectation. We were waiting forever. It took like a lot longer than expected. And when I finally got under the light, I was like, okay, let's just do this, you know? And, um, I was amazed, you know, in those first couple of minutes, uh, same thing happened to me. I just started smiling I was like, what is this? It's making me so happy. And they're like, do you want more? I'm like, yes, like, yes. And then like more intense, yes. And I just went to the most intense and my eyes are actually like really fluttering that first time. And I almost at one point just like held my eyes shut, like just stop, like I'm trying to just like experience this. And then I went into the longer session and that's when it really became magical for me. I relaxed enough to like let my eyes go. And um, I actually went straight through all the colors and patterns a lot of people see and straight into a very, you know, ayahuasca type experience. I had, I had a visitation with my father who had passed away. Um, and when he kind of passed, a lot of the PTSD stuff came up. So it was really beautiful to connect with him. And, you know, he like told me like, it's okay to be happy. Like, you know, and like kind of unlocked some keys in my heart that I had been holding a lot of pain around and... I just was flooded by this sensation and I was in a forest and, you know, I don't know all these things. And I'm like, I don't, you know, I forgot where I was, what was going on. And, you know, I kind of ended and I was like in this tent in London in an art gallery, you know, and I was like, what is going And they're like, how was your session? I was like, I can't even talk right now. I just went running outside and it was raining in these London streets. And I, I was just dancing in the rain. You know, I was just like, I felt like I had like come back to myself and anyway, who's experienced PTSD is kind of like there's a wall of glass between you and the world. Like you're trying to communicate, but like you like try to explain. It's just not the same. I just don't feel the same anymore. You're kind of out of your body and it just like snapped me back into my body and my, you know, this isn't for everyone. Everyone has a totally different experience. But for me, it it was a life changer. I mean, from that moment, all the dreams went away, like all the nightmares. I slept through the night for the first time in eight months. Um, And I felt like myself again. And wow, it was definitely still a journey and like, you know, something that I really um, like, you know, remind people in the process of this is that, you know, things, there's no pill that solves anything, you know, it's like, yes, I had this experience that moved my nervous system essentially back into the parasympathetic, which I was resisting so hard, which really helped me be able to deeply relax and the kind of expansive um, psychedelic state also really helped me connect with a part of myself, you know, that I really needed to like find again and ease something in my soul by connecting with my father. But also, you know, after that, it was like, there's still work to do. You know, it wasn't like, okay, you're done. Like everything's good now for the rest of your life. You're enlightened. You know, it wasn't one of those experiences, but 
it really essentially brought me back to the space where I, I could do the work and, um, and I was, you know, excited to do it. And my energy came back and I kind of got out of the depression and started becoming a, you know, creator. Like I like talking about the creatorship and how we can step into that state in our lives where we're, you know, consciously manifesting what we're bringing forward instead of reactively responding. And yeah, so it moved me back into my creatorship position and, and yeah, it was exciting. I started making better choices and, you know, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. I'm like, what is this thing? You know? And so I went back and tried it again and um, it was very colorful and patterns and things, but I didn't have anywhere near the same depth of experience in a certain sense. But also there was just this peace that came and that of understanding of, you know, it felt like there's almost something there, like a spirit or energy that I was kind of connecting to when I was in the light that was beyond just like light bulbs. Um, it felt like really deeply connected for me. And then my personal journey was that I um, started dreaming about the light machine all the time. Um, and No I, way, really? Yeah. And I've always been pretty like intuitive and, um, you know, you know, psychic stuff or whatever has kind of come through more and more in my life. But... I often have kind of, you know, prophetic dreams for myself. And uh, so when I started dreaming about it all the time, I was like, okay, I can't ignore this. I was giving lights with groups of people, like all these different things. And I'm like, come on, I just finished my master's degree, like trying to do this work. And um, yeah, and it just kept calling to me. And it seems to be kind of what happens to certain people. They just kind of get hear the call and then they, you know, people will try it. And then years later, they come back again and they're like, I'm still thinking about that, that light. And I'm like, it, it does, it happens like that sometimes. So yeah, that was really my journey. And at that point, um, there was only like one light in the US and, um, you know, it was, they're definitely not cheap. It's a, it's an investment, an energetic investment. And so I was really overwhelmed by all of that, but I ended up um, actually being able to get the one that was in the U.S. buying it from him used and making payments. And I had already... Oh, dope. Yeah. I wow. mean, but it was one of those manifestation things, you know, I was like, I knew it was going to happen. I was in my creatorship. So even though I was being turned down by banks for loans and, you know, all of the traditional like things, everyone was like, are you crazy? Like you just got a master's degree. Like, you know, like this light is so expensive. What does it even do? It's just a light, you know, like come on. Like I had all, everyone was against me. My own mother was like, is it going to give people cancer? You know, so it was a really like, there was a lot of resistance in my, the rest of my world, but in my heart, there was nothing but knowing that it was going to happen. So I just went ahead and made a website. I, you know, I did everything that I could do. And then, you know, that was seen by the universe. And when he saw my website and heard my story and everything, and he's like, okay, let's do this and didn't do a background check or anything and just start like, send me the light. And I started making payments. Um, and so it's been, you know, an epic journey since then. Um, in the beginning, I didn't really like, you know, I was kind of trained that someone should be with me and a few things like that. But, you know, I probably didn't follow any of the instructions in the beginning. Um, I'm pretty head on um, into things as well. So I was kind of finding my own way with it. Um, scared a few of my friends by really throwing them into the deep end without warning and, you know, learned a lot of lessons along the way. And, and in the end, ended up developing like a whole like training manual and um, ways of different work, working with the light and helping people kind of find their, their own way to work with the light. And, you know, it's been a really transformative and growing journey. And I've, I've been so grateful to meet like so many just incredible people along the way, like connecting with soul family and, 
we have a beautiful community and that's, it's a real gift. It's a real gift in my life in every single way. And, you know, part of my thing for me personally was like, um, I was studying international education and development my whole life. I've always been like, I'm here to serve. Like, what can I do? Like I'm supposed to help, you know? And it's like the suffering I went through myself. I was like, wow, I just like, don't want people to suffer. You know, like, how can I help this? And, you know, and, um, so kind of my, impulse to do international education development. Education was like a huge thing in my life. It was something really steady and secure and positive. And then, um, you know, I loved traveling to other places and seeing other cultures and things. So I was like, wow, if I can, you know, work with this. But then I, you know, as through my own evolution, I'm like, I'm not sure about educational systems. I'm not sure about these big NGOs. Like I have a lot of questions about donors and donor priorities and like, you know, and it was like very entangled and political and, um, I really came to this understanding that like for me, what I understand the best way that you can help anyone because you can't really help anyone is to just hold space for them to help themselves is to see them, you know, to see them and acknowledge them and um, and really be there as a witness uh, to their experience. And um, so that's kind of what the light is really all about and how we hold it. It's like, you know, we're not healers, like you're the healer. Everyone's healing themselves. And it's really, as a guide in the light, it's really holding space for people to have this incredible experience. And it's whatever they experience is a reflection of them. And it's different every single time. And, um, you know, it's like a tuning fork of your consciousness. So it really brings you back to that to that center. And so I've seen people really depressed with no energy who come out like just like, yeah, this is a new life. Like I'm just ready, you know? And then I've seen people who are so overworked. I've seen doctors who just fall asleep like the second it turns on, you know, and rest is important. And, you know, like sometimes we prioritize like, oh, I want to have a shamanic journey over rest. But, you know, your body knows what you're ready for. And so the light's really giving you what you're ready for. And that's what I really love about it too. It's again, it's like a reflection. It's a recalibration. So it's not... um you know, forcing you into something. And that's kind of a difference, you know, you compared it to ayahuasca and one of the, you know, first of all, it's not an entheogen. So you're not taking anything inside your body that's really messing with your um, your neurochemistry. Um, but also it's, you know, and ayahuasca has a beautiful spirit, Mother Aya, and um, that works with you as well. And um, well, I believe that the light really has guardians, I would say, etherically, energetically. Uh, really what it's about isn't saying like, I need to do this to have a deeper understanding. It's saying that deeper understandings are already within me. I'm just shining a light on it to remember. And so, and it's literally a light that you turn on and shine on yourself to remember. So that's kind of what it's all about. It's like remembering. We already have all the answers for ourselves. We already know. We are eternal beings and we're multidimensional and we're acting in so many ways and time is quantum and it's all happening at once. There's no past or future. So, you know, the more we can kind of come into that eternal presence where we're healthy and whole and everything is, then, you know, the more we are in our creatorship and and it's it's beautiful. So that's what the light is really all about. And that's, you know, my personal journey and introduction with it. Before that rainy night in London six years ago, when you had your initial experience, had you experimented with psychedelics? Um, you know, a little bit, but not really. I actually 
Um, I was more of a nerd and intellectual growing up. Um, and like I said, school was really like positive for me. It was like, oh, you did a good job, you know, good work, you know, <laughs> you know, it was like really positive reinforcement. I was like, this is great. And I was always reading books and kind of actually I was having, you know, I had different kind of astral experiences and stuff as a child, but um, I wasn't really into drugs as I call it, you know, and I didn't really differentiate between um you know, psychedelics or any like harder drugs. I was pretty against all of it, you know, because I really, you know, alcohol is probably one of the worst ones. So I was drinking some alcohol, but I didn't really do much, um, much in the way of psychedelics. Um, the light in a way actually right around that time started opening me more to being open to those types of experiences. And so since you had that experience um, with the light, did you become curious about other inner cosmic journeys using what do they call it is it entheogens entheogens oh i always say entheogens my psychonauts are going to correct me and the <laughs> sometimes people just be like, sometimes people leave a podcast review and they're like dude you pronounce this word wrong all the time here's how it really goes like, thank you i appreciate that oh, i want to i want to sound as smart as possible on my podcast could just be an accent you know uh yeah um, after that though were you like oh wow the doors of perception have opened i wonder what happens if i do a you know, clinical dose of MDMA or I go do ayahuasca or wachuma and all the things that are available. I think right now it's really very interesting because you have, again, like you're, you're talking about the non-duality conference where you have this merging of hard science and the shamanic spirit, spiritual world. Right. And Mm -hmm. like a guy like Joe Dispenza is kind of doing a really great job of merging that. Mm -hmm. But in terms of psychedelics and just expansions of consciousness you have the clinical psychedelic movement in the world of psychiatry mm-hmm. and the psychotherapeutic model and you know obviously which mdma kind of originated in that even lsd back mm-hmm. in the beginning uh, but then you have a convergence of plant medicines and totally. shamanic medicines yeah. your peyote and ayahuasca and all of this kind of stuff so mm-hmm. it's it's a really interesting time i i'm very excited about these two worlds kind of colliding and yeah there being you know a loosening of the legality around some of these things and more education and more open-mindedness from the academic medical scientific community finding the value in the other side of it which is more tied to the natural world so have you since become interested in either side of those explorations? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I should say, um, you know, I was in England and I did experience some MDMA, but it was more in a like party situation and it just left me felt like I felt more empty. It was like kind of you would have like an experience of connection in that time. And then I remember um, even trying to talk to some of the people that I had felt like I had this incredible connection with the, you know, the following week and it was like they didn't even remember, you know, and I felt really lost. And and that's actually how I really still feel in terms of looking at these, you know, sacred medicines as that, you know, it's a, it's a sacred experience um, when you're expanding your consciousness and you really need to, you know, have some awareness around that and intention if you want it to be really productive for your life. I mean, obviously you can do whatever you want. You don't need to do anything, but... Um, I am, you know, I live in Colorado and um, I have a lot of friends experiencing psychedelics and I've done a lot of, um, a fair amount of psychedelic exploration myself. And I was really lucky um, in the beginning, my first, you know, kind of deep psychedelic journeys with LSD and um, psilocybin to have 
friends who were real guides, you know, who really prepped me and like, okay, let's talk about this beforehand. This is what might happen. Like, this is your safe place to come back to. One of my dearest friends was, this is the blanket. This is everything safe. We have everything we need here. So if anything ever happens, you can always come here and like rooting, you know, doing things like that are so important. And, you know, I think it's beautiful to explore your consciousness. And, you know, there's so much in our subconsciousness that's so rich and telling and healing and potential there is just incredible. But, you know, I also am really, you know, praying for the community to have some more education around ways that this can be used, you know, because I mean, even, you know, marijuana to me is... um, can really be abused if people are smoking every day and um, really doing it kind of unconsciously and just kind of addicted to being in that space all the time. And then their field is wide open and, you know, and it kind of has its own agenda that can really slow down your life. So there's just, you know, it's really important to say like, yes, these are great. And I'm all about, you know, expansion of consciousness and really passionate about about that. But I also am really passionate about psychedelics being used in a way that's respectful and of both the plant medicine or, um, you know, whatever type of medicine it is. And then also of the person who's experiencing it, you know, if you're at a party and you're just, um, woo and drinking a bunch of alcohol and all these things, like really bad things can happen. I mean, even on the you know, it's a little more on the woo-woo side, but energetically, like you can get entity attachments, like all kinds of, you know, dark spirits. Your field is just wide open. The people you can attract, the situations, you know, I've had, I know a lot of friends and I've even had experiences myself where I wasn't really in like a very clear mental space or feeling really safe or nurtured um, during a psychedelic experience. And because of some of the things that went down during that 12 hours of intensity. Um, I had years of work to do to release some of the things that happened. And I know a lot of people that have had that. And I really feel like that was the fall of psychedelics before, you know, it got really out of control. And so I'm really, you know, calling forward the leaders, you know, the people who are psychonauts who have had these experiences, who have been through the healing to step forward and share more ways you know, um, to hold space and then also to integrate those experiences. You know, I've, um, I have experiment experience with all kinds of different antigens, um, you know, not a lot of each one, but I've just been curious to try out all these different experiences once my mind was open, but I really found that, you know, and from seeing so many people and working with so many people with the light that, you know, the integration is what matters. So again, it's like these peak experiences can be really like beautiful and opening and telling and learning. And But if we don't integrate what we've learned, then what are we doing? We're just chasing the high and that's not going to get us anywhere. That's not going to get us more present. And I've seen, you know, I've seen communities where people do ayahuasca once a month or, you know quite often and just keep coming back for more and more. Just show me more. And it's like, wow. I mean, I've done ayahuasca, what, like two or three times in my life. And that's a lifetime lessons right there. Right. <laughs> like one night you're like, whoa, like I, I'm going to be integrating that for like years, you know? And and I think that's really taking, you know, taking it to that next level. It's like, it's fun to explore. It's beautiful to open up. There's so much that can be done and this time, yeah, everything's accessible. I mean, people are sharing things with me all the time about different experiences that they're having and, you know, comparing it to later, doing these things. But I think it's just really 
also important to just kind of really bring it back to that center point and not, you know, get lost. And there's a way to totally do way too many psychedelics. There's people who are kind of lost in idealism and, you know, they, you know, lack of connectivity. Cause like basically when you go on these experiences, you're, um, expanding your neural pathways, right? You're getting out of your default mode network. So if you think of like a structure of something, I'll try to put it into a little metaphor, but yeah, like a structure, like, or like a drawing, you know, it's all these lines are connected in this. And so it's like, okay, this is my default mode network. This is how I feel when this happens. And I know that, you know, I should feel this or, you know, we have just different ways of being and some of them are inherited and some of them we get from watching TV and some we get re- relating from people we look up to. So they can be good, bad, ugly, you know, all kinds of different things, but this is just like our normal way of being. And we have to have this kind of normal way of being so that we feel comfortable in our normal life. Because um, without that, you know, we can just be like anything, you know, so if you hear something, you're like, wait, does that make sense? And then you refer to your own network to say like, does this make sense? And you like your past experiences, what you know, your knowledge base, all of this stuff, you know, okay, flat earth, like, wow. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, but if you just, you know, if you take two, so as you take psychedelics, for example, you have ways to open up to create new neural pathways, right? But like if you're doing it for 12 hours unsupervised and all this crazy stuff is going down and you're imprinting those into your neural pathways. And then what can happen is if you continue to keep taking so many psychedelics, you kind of lose your grounding, you know, actually, I met right because yeah. you you start to exist uh, too frequently and consistency and consistently out of that framework. Yeah. So the tool and the usefulness is to break the matrix momentarily to be like, oh shit, there is a matrix. I yeah. didn't even know that I'm in it, and there is one. Mm-hmm. But the default mode network is there for a reason. We've been designed that way by the creator to psychologically have some sort of framework that keeps us within reason and productivity yeah yeah that's interesting that's interesting yeah so that's what's you know really interesting too because like there's the whole like microdose movement versus you know like the hero's dose and you know and like yeah both are great again i'm like i think all of these practices can be amazing when treated with respect but you know like microdosing is more of that you know, like the light machine, I would say the light experience, even while being quite psychedelic is mostly more on the microdose spectrum where it's gently, you know, opening those spaces for new choices and new neural networks, but it's not just like blasting everything open, you know, and some people are really sensitive and, you know, like they don't need to take like five grams of psilocybin to have an experience, you know, you could give them the smallest amount or, take them into the light and they can have an experience. Um, And, you know, their system can get really out of whack if you just blast them with so much, you know, and especially if something, you know, less than appealing happens during that, that's outside of the environmental control, you know, it's like, we can be really traumatized. So it's just, um, again, I think all these things are really interesting and I've definitely had my fair share of exploration in these different states, but I feel, you know, as we kind of mature along our spiritual path, uh, we hold some responsibility to, you know, guide the way to others. And um, if we want psychedelics to continue to be, you know, moving on this path towards legalization, we need to respect them and, you know, and take that seriously because, you know. I really appreciate that uh, perspective because 
as excited as I am about this movement because I I just love the expansion of consciousness, especially when it starts to happen within a dominant culture such as Western culture. Um, that I'm just like, yeah, everyone go trip balls. Let's do this. But having the reverence and respect for the, the natural construct that we're created with, I think is really, is really wise. And also the the reason that I've apart from the four um, ayahuasca journeys that I had last year, I'm about to go do some more, which will have already happened by the time this interview comes out. So make that eight Mm -hmm. by the time of this release, if all goes well. Um, but I resisted that for a long time because my prior experiences were like going to dead shows and taking a random hit of acid from this person and then throw some mushrooms and drink a bunch of beer. And it was really fun. I mean, it's, it was fun as hell to watch the grateful dead frying on a couple of hits of acid. Like there's a reason why deadheads did a lot of acid. There's something about that experience that really aligned itself with psychedelics but I never had any insights that were useful later in life. And I was absolutely doing those things as a means by which to escape my reality because my reality was so painful because I had mm-hmm. no other way to deal with the trauma that I'd experienced in life and the neurotic ways in which I operated and thought and felt. And so all of my drug use, even though the intention was like to party and have fun, the party and have fun is to escape from who I am and what my current reality is. Absolutely. The way that I'm experiencing the world is so, I mean, this is spoken as a former addict. Yeah. My, that's a my, yeah, my, how do I say this? Like my, um, my subjective experience of reality at any given time was so painful that the only way I could change my experience of reality and my perception of it was to take something to escape from who I am and what my experience was. And so it Mm -hmm. was like, everything was a painkiller. Sometimes they were actual painkillers and opiates. And sometimes there were stimulants and sometimes psychedelics and sometimes depressants and barbiturates and whatever I could take to numb my experience because the world was just too irritating too fast, too loud, too bright, too painful, too everything. Mm-hmm. And um, and there's a lot of useful things to turn down the volume on life when you live in that abject pain all the time. Mm-hmm. The problem is when you cross into you cross the line of addiction, then you're moving to the point where those medicines, because I was using them rather unconsciously, but they still were my medicines. They start to turn on you, and now you tip the scales to the point where the benefits of those um, ways of coping get completely um, um, eclipsed by the yes. detrimental side effects. Exactly. So it's like an aspirin's great if you have a headache, but you get to the point where you have to take ten aspirin, and now you have a worse headache because you took ten aspirin. You know, it's that kind of. It's <laughs> Here the, are the side effects on your body. You know? Yeah, it's the yeah. it's the law mm-hmm. of diminishing returns, yeah. and so for those of us that are so fortunate to have given be given the the gift of willingness and humility and grace and desperation and all of those things that go into escaping from a life of addiction, mm-hmm. um, I know the world of like abusing everything and having no respect for it, which is why I waited so, so long. I mean, 22 Mm -hmm. years before I really did anything that could possibly affect the way I feel or change perception. But Mm -hmm. having come through so much, so many dark nights of the soul, stone cold sober, I mean, just doing a lot of work with no help from any kind of mind altering substances that by the time I made a decision to do that, my intentions were very pure and I was not at all trying to escape from who I am and my my experience of 
reality because I'm not in pain anymore. Like mm-hmm. I don't hate myself. I don't hate people. I don't hate the world. I'm not living in hatred and anger and fear. And there's moments where shit happens in life that suck and you get bummed out. Of course, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's micro sufferings that kind of take place. Um, maybe not suffering, but pain, I guess. Suffering's kind of more optional is what you do with the pain. Mm-hmm. But now being in a place in my life where I'm like very open-minded to the exploration of these things consciously. Mm-hmm. Um, I still want to remain very mindful that the potential to use things as an escape rather than an inscape mm-hmm. is there. Yes. You know, and I think that's something that each person subjectively just has to apply a certain degree of self-honesty and, dis- and discernment yes. and prudence to see why you're doing something like what's your core intention. Yeah. What is that intention? And, yeah. yeah. And just taking that time to tune in with that is really important. And then, yeah. And again, deciding ahead of time, the pathway of how that wants to go down or what you're working on and really, you know, also applying, taking some time afterwards to really integrate that experience and apply it to life and, you know, that's one of the other things that the Lucia has been used for is more like integrating kind of psychedelic experiences. So say you have this like amazing ayahuasca experience, but your nervous system can actually still be kind of shaken from that, you know, because you're going really through a lot there. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like on every level, you it's think? like, whoa. So, you know, like, you know, yeah. if you have those far out experiences, you know, it's, and then, you know, a lot of times two people go out into like Peru or something and then they come back and like, you know, maybe the shamans don't even speak English or like, you know, you don't have anyone to process with or like your family doesn't, you know, support what you're doing or, you know, you don't really have any close people that don't have an agenda in your life to really talk to about it. And so that's another thing that the Lucia is actually really great for is for, um, yeah, is for integrating those experiences on the physiological level and then, you know, you you know that the person who's holding space for a Lucia session will, you know, understand and, you know, listen with your other experiences. And well. this is why you have with practitioners, not just, you know, a solo guy like me that will one day get my hands on one of these things, but for someone that wants to do healing and do sessions, or I imagine this is probably useful for people that have healing centers and things with different yes. modalities and devices and whatnot. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think I found a float center in Laguna Beach that has one. If yeah. I'm not mistaken, right? The float yeah. lounge. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I'll be going down there. Um, but I think that's probably why the training is important, right? So you're not mm-hmm. just like cowboys and Indians, like, Woo, wild west, anything goes like, yeah, turn yeah. this light on, crank it up as you know, like how I did it the first time kind of, um, that's why. Yeah, that- well, even then, I mean, I think I know who held space for you, Eric, he's wonderful. And, you know, even then I think, you know, he could probably suss out energetically that you were good to go and, you know, right. ready to go into that experience. But for people who are more sensitive and obviously in a conference, you're kind of just trying things. Whereas, you know, if you really book a session with someone, um, part of the training over the years too has really developed to like, okay, how does that person hold space? You know, for example, I'm a, I do energy healing. So I often offer that as a type of session, you know, but it's really encouraging anyone who wants to work with this modality to bring themselves to the experience as a space holder as well. Right. Yeah. And who are these dudes that came up with it? This uh, Dr. Engelbert Winkler and Dr. Dirk Pro- Prockle. Prockle. Mm-hmm. Yes. Dr. Dirk Prockle. Where are they from? How'd they get into this stuff? Yeah. So um, Engelbert Winkler is uh, a Austrian. A great, great I know it's a really great name. Um Austrian psychiatrist and psychologist. Um, and he he had a near-death experience when he was quite young, actually. And so for people who are not super aware of near-death experiences, 
it's, you know, when you almost die and you kind of go beyond this life, you know, people talk about life review or like all these kind of things that they go through. And for him, it was profoundly changing. You know, he kind of came back inspired to help out in the world. And he was just like, wow, I lost my fear of dying because, you know, he was scared as a little kid to die. And then he got so close to it happening, but came back and was like, it's beautiful over there. I don't know what we're so worried about. So he really um, was so impressed by this experience. He thought, wow, if I can just show people what it's like without nearly killing them, um, what's another way to kind of access this space beyond life? And so he um, did a you know hypnotherapy training and was working with a solid light and kind of guiding people into these meditations with light. And, you know, it was working pretty well, but then um, he started... He was chatting with his uh, colleague, Dr. Dirk Prockle, who's a medical neurologist and also a psychologist. Um, and, you know, I was asking him like, you know, like, what about this? What do you think? And, you know, Dirk's wife as well is also, you know, a therapist, psychologist. And so they were just talking about it one late night, you know, and he's like, why don't you bring in flickering light? What about flickering light? You know, flickering light is, you know, more related to brain entrainment. Maybe they could have some experience. So they started experimenting with Lucia number one. <laughs> and, oh, okay. That's where the okay. So, that's where yeah. the number three comes. Yeah. The third iteration. Of yeah, it. Okay. exactly. So Dirk brought in the the flickering light and um and they tried closing their eyes, you know, and it's coming back from, you know, ancient Greek times all the way to sitting around a flickering light at a campfire, flashing light has been in our lives for, you know, many times. And I also believe really in the Egyptian uh, worlds to activate the third eye. This feels like very familiar to technology to me on a lot of more of the spiritual levels. Um, but yeah, so they really came in surprised and amazed by what they saw when they closed their eyes and combined the solid and flickering light together. And so they really pioneered this new or revitalized this approach to working with flickering light. And so um, they really use a really special method with the Lucia, which is the halogen, which is the solid light, and then the LEDs, which are flickering. And sometimes the halogen's on, sometimes it's off, but often it, you know, mostly it opens the space and it has a wider spectrum than LEDs and it's thermal, meaning warm. So uh, yeah, it's, it's an incandescent bulb. Yeah. Yeah. Halogen. Yeah. Yeah. So it's better for, you know, your body and system, as you know, from your previous talks and everything, how important light is um, and what types of light we're, we're receiving, uh, receiving that, you know, solid light and that warmth um, is very, you know, feminine and opening and, you know, we become more receptive. And then as the flickering light comes through, that's kind of the more intense driving. So you can kind of look at that as the feminine and then the masculine of the flickering is kind of what's like moving things. And um, the flickering light goes through different frequencies. Um, and instead of being a direct brain entrainment, you know, like there's some things with like binaural beats and like little glasses that kind of have the same thing. And they're just kind of focusing on getting you into one state of consciousness. But as um, Dirk has explained to me before, the neurologist, like it's almost like pop science to think about like a brainwave state as being just theta or alpha or things like that. Because if you look at an EEG, um, all of these you know, brain waves, which are kind of just like rhythms, you can think of them as rhythms are happening all the time. And when you're getting into theta, for example, that means just like the theta rhythm is really elevated. It's like really happening. Um, but the other brain waves are happening as well. And um, it's 
So we can kind of control our brain, which is again, kind of the more masculine approach to taking it to a certain level, which can be really helpful in terms of like really getting into a specific state or for if you have a brain dysfunction, for example, people with ADHD who really have trouble staying in the alpha or high alpha ranges, you know, you can do kinds of um, neurofeedback. Which, yeah, I love neurofeedback. Yeah, which encourage you into those states. But however, if you don't have, you know, some kind of issue with your brain, um, then you should be a little careful about what you're um, encouraging your brain into or like really in training to for long periods of time. Um, and, you know, their perspective is more looking at it in terms of relating it to a psychedelic expansive state of consciousness where you're actually trying to get to more harmonic state. And so, you know, people call it coherence as well across the brain. Um, but the harmonics, I've seen it on the EEG and it's just absolutely beautiful. It's like when you're playing a singing bowl and, you know, all the sounds are like in sync and you're like, oh God, it's just so beautiful. Like how's that? It's like if you look on the, you know, EEG, each of your brain waves is like in alignment with each other. Like they're the what? relationship between them. That's That was going to be my next question is have these guys and you guys done QEGs on people under the light and what happened? So you, that's happened, huh? Yeah, yeah. So that's wow. kind of the deeper experiences. And again, it's it's interesting with the Lucia because every person is really different. And since it's not a direct brain entrainment with like a goal of getting into one particular state, it's more of like, we think of it more of like a song or a type of music. So it's like, okay, put the song on and here's the invitation to dance, right? And the light reaches out. Now you can take the hand of the light and go into the most beautiful dance of your life, or you can kind of resist and do this like pulling back and forth thing, or you can kind of just like, let's just lay down together, or you can, you know, do all kinds of different things with it. Or I'm actually gonna do my own dance over here and just ignore you, you know, like, so there's all different ways you can interact with the experience and it's not forced. And the more kind of you work with it, the more like the deeper you can often go unless sometimes it takes you by surprise like what happened with me when it really just like okay like I didn't even realize there was a hand extended I'm just suddenly doing the best dance of my life so there's different ways that you know you can work with it and that's why every time is so different because you're in a different place and you know the dance is going to be different but it's really ultimately about um, you know a better way that they found to measure it is actually by looking at the kind of like you could think of like power at different aspects of the brain. So how many different parts of the brain are light, lit up at the same time or like kind of looking at an fMRI of what is happening in your brain. And so instead of just looking at these rhythms of the brain, because they've also found with psychedelic experience, it's like, okay, what what brainwave state are in the like... You know, it's not really like straightforward. It's like, oh, well, when you're having psychedelic visuals, your alpha is usually low. But beyond that, they haven't really found any definitive um, data in terms of psychedelic experience. But obviously, you're having a totally different altered state, right? So there's yeah. something else going on here and there's different ways to measure it. And so they've found that actually, if you look at the kind of power is a good way to think about it in terms of different aspects of your brain, like what's being lit up at different times concurrently. You know, some people may have seen like people on LSD and their whole brains like lit up, you know? And so that's again, why it's so important, like what's around you because you're imprinting that into your brain, right? So um, when you're in these states of consciousness, um, but yeah, it helps activate different parts of your brain, which opens the way for new neural pathways to be made. And they did actually a study at the University of Sussex, um, which is coincidentally where I went to do my master's degree, although it was in something totally different. So cool, synchronicities. Um, but yeah, they did a study there. Dr. David Schwartzman did a study comparing um, data set from a psilocybin you know, experience to 
the Lucia light. And in so many different ways, they correlated. It was fascinating. It was like almost, it was like very similar data about, you know, all these different measurements of, you know, the spiritual side of the, you know, the light was more relaxing, um, but kind of the visual experience and how they felt afterwards and all kinds of different things. It's a really cool study. I can send you the link. But... Oh, please do. That's that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Also the the term that you used, which is something I'm really getting into with Joe Dispenza's work is coherence, you know, brain mm-hmm. coherence. Mm-hmm. And again, getting out of the the nonlinear way of looking at brain entrainment, like, oh, I want more alpha or now I'm theta. Like when mm-hmm. I've done a lot of neurofeedback, when you look at your QEG, mm-hmm. there's all of these overlapping different combination of brain waves that are infinite, yes. you know? And mm-hmm. so it's like in nature, uh, it, it is a nonlinear experience, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, it's about that, um, the coherence, not only between your brain and mind being kind of another element of brain or your brain, the way I look at it, it's sort of like a transducer or receiver for mind, right? Because mind is non-local mm-hmm. and universal in terms of the quantum element of hive mind and group mind and God mind. It's coming through the brain and then that becomes thought, but then there's the heart center too, you know, and that's the real key is like, I zero in on this stuff. And then I think I've zeroed in on it. And then I go, Oh, but it's, there's more, you know, <laughs> which is the beauty it's of, the way. <laughs> there's beauty of discovery, of discovery, right. Yeah, of doing yeah. the things that I do. Uh, but this idea of coherence, like that's, that's really the measurement. Like that's where we feel a true flow state, right. Yeah. Is when your heart rate variability and just whatever random combination of brain waves tunes you into your higher self mm-hmm. so that you have more access to that. And that's what's motivating your words, deeds, behavior, character, the way that you interact with the world. Absolutely. So there's much more to it than just, you know, altering your brain waves, which is useful mm-hmm. to tune up the radio, yes, right? Absolutely. To get the radio mm-hmm. tuned to the right channel, but then wh- where's the programming coming from, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so th- that brings me to my next line of questioning, which mm-hmm. you kind of just answered is that uh, in addition to neurofeedback, which is possible for people to do at home, if you, you know, you get a whole system and you have to learn how to do it. Uh, I do it at a place called uh, Peak Brain Institute, which is in West LA. Mm -hmm. It's helped me immensely. I've done a podcast on it, guys. Again, I don't remember the number. There's 250 shows now or something, but if you look up, well, no, we'll put it in the show notes. Show notes, people, you magicians and wizards, uh, look up the neurofeedback episode with uh, Dr. Andrew Hill and put it in the show notes. It'll be in there. But what you're doing there is you're training your brain to up level or down level certain patterns in the brain waves that you use. And it's very effective, as you mentioned, for ADD, ADHD, PTSD, all these kind of things. I just wanted to be more focused and it's helped me to achieve that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of the other things that I'm really into would be um, there's this uh, device called Nucalm, mm-hmm. which is a brain entrainment uh, neuroacoustic uh, kind of situation where you listen to these very specific, deeply embedded tracks that take you on these journeys. And then you have a little disc you put on your wrist that has the, this sounds really woo woo, but it's used primarily by the military, which tells you, no, this shit is legit. Newcom is so legit. Uh, it's for the main purpose of Newcom is to um, lower stress mm-hmm. and to help you recover from stress. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so useful for the military and, in pro sports, you put this little disc and it has the quantum imprint of, I think like GABA and theanine. And then between that and the neuroacoustic sounds that you're listening to open up your GABA receptors. And the net effect of that 
is brain entrainment, but to the point of recovery and getting what feels like, uh, in terms of the recovery of your nervous system, two or three hours of sleep Mm -hmm. in either like a 20 or 50 minute session. So my first idea was like, oh, sick, I'm going to put on that and then get under the Lucia light because I always just stack everything, you Mm -hmm. know, an experiment like that. Very American. um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, well, if one thing's good for you and feels good, let's hook up to five fucking things, you know? Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes, very American uh, and just very obsessive. But from what you're saying to force our brainwaves into like a certain pattern or something in, in combination with Lucia would kind of nullify the effect of just allowing your consciousness, your brain, your mind, all of that to just go where it wants to go based on its unique response to the light. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's really interesting because I, you know, in my years, I've kind of gone along the same journeys. I was like, oh my gosh, there's, you know, the Monroe Institute. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh like, my God. These amazing. I used to have like yeah. an iPod full of the Monroe Institute um, hemisync, yeah. hemispheric synchronization where they take your, especially for guys, it's useful because we have a smaller corpus colossum, <laughs> I think it's called. Mm-hmm. I always get a colostrum mixed up, but uh, yeah, you know, we don't as easily jump from left and right hemisphere. And so yeah. it would it would create this synchronization. Yeah. yeah, it's dope. So yeah, I tried that actually. Um, I was you know, trying out with this really, you know, far out, you know, person who was really into all this stuff as well. And we tried the most intense like astral body, like out of, you know, astral experience, out of body uh, thing with the most intense Lucia light session, which is, well, one of the most ones, most intense ones called DMT. And I was like, okay, let's do this, you know, and, Wow, it was not a comfortable experience. Really? Yeah. So it was you combined like, it with the Monroe Institute yeah, tracks? Yeah. And actually, I um, the experience was like, okay, let's go. And then as soon as the light started kind of like flashing and doing its thing and the beats were going, my whole, I kind of lost control of my head. It started like going back and forth and then like my shoulder and I just like, ah, and it, it felt terrible. I felt like two things were just ripping my brain into, you know, different directions. The fun that we get to do with experimenting yeah. ourselves. I just like pulled off the headphones, like stop the light. And I felt really weird for like 10 minutes. I had to really like ground myself and I was like, okay. And then we reached out to the Monroe Institute and we're like, you know, hey, we figured out this thing. Because this guy who I was actually experimenting with, he was like convinced, you know, he was like ex-military and all this stuff. And he was like really into the Monroe Institute. And he was like, I figure out like we found, you know, this new way to get out of body. It's going to work like every time. And and he was like, maybe we should have just stuck with it a little longer. And they're like, no, like, no, no, no. Like, please stop. This is not healthy experimentation. You know, you're pulling your brain into two different directions at the same time. And right. that is not healthy for your brain like and so I I kind of freaked out and made a whole thing on my website like do not combine with my neural beats and you know and then you know over the years I've kind of like softened into it and yeah some people do like you can do like a a theta hum in the background or something like that and you know most people fall asleep it's very relaxing you know so there's ways that you can kind of gently encourage your brain but in general I say why you know like that's not it's not necessary. Um, and actually the Lucia is doing something totally different. So, uh, yeah, there's a few different things that you can combine with it, you know, but, um, in general, anything else that's working with your brain is not encouraged. We'll be right back at you after this brief, but important announcement from listening to this show. You might've guessed that I'm pretty into my supplements, you know, the herbs, the mushrooms, the CBD, 
the natural stuff, the non-natural stuff. I'm just sort of a human guinea pig, and my kitchen looks more like a science lab than it does somewhere where you prepare food. Which is always shocking when friends come over and want to cook some dinner. There's nothing to cook a lot of the time because I get home-delivered meals and I gobble them up. I'm not a big grocery dude, but I do have an amazing collection of supplements. And uh, one of my favorites is a company called Cured Nutrition. They make mushroom and CBD blends, full-spectrum nibbles, all these different tinctures, dog treats. And they work with your body's natural system to produce really clear benefits without the worry of any kind of psychoactive reaction or anything anything synthetic or anything like that. So uh, two of my favorite products from Cure to the Rise Nootropic Blend. That's really good for mental clarity, focus, memory, recording podcasts. It's got rhodiola, ginseng, CBD, lion's mane, cordyceps. Very unique product. These guys are doing some cool stuff with all these different blends. And you've got the Zen Nighttime Blend. Reishi, ashwagandha, magnesium, CBD. The effects of that are calming your ass down. If you're too hyper, you need some Zen nighttime blend. And of course, it's amazing for sleep and also um, your REM sleep, your dreaming. And you don't get groggy the next day like you do with some other sleep supplements that I notice sometimes if I pound a lot of melatonin and things like that, I wake up super brain dead. Then I have to take a bunch of the damn Rise Nootropic to wake up. But that's a really good one-two punch combo and these guys just have very high integrity and full transparency. You know, you can look on their site at every single ingredient, where it comes from. They're based in Colorado. Shout out to Colorado. That's where I was born. Um, so I'm super stoked to be presenting Cured Nutrition to you guys. You can find them at curednutrition.com. That's C-U-R-E-D, cured, as in the cure to your ills. Curednutrition.com. And the code for 15% off at curednutrition.com is Lifestylist. That's Lifestylist for 15% off. Enjoy. And now back to the interview. Just found this other thing called um, Brain Tap, mm-hmm. which is a, also a neuroacoustic, you know, audio experience that has like these goggles on the headphones mm-hmm. that produce not dissimilar to the Lucia light. Like it's a flashing light. If you open your eyes, like what's this going to do? But when you close your eyes and you have a combination of these mm-hmm. sometimes guided visualization, visualizations, mm-hmm. and sometimes it is just a theta hum that, you know, mm-hmm. puts you in that state. And it's, it's super cool, but um, I'm already seeing that that would like be like counterproductive. Yeah. Like you just not necessary. It's overkill. Yeah. So we'll forget about other technologies and just focus on the light itself. Mm-hmm. And, this morning, because it happened to be one of my five days on, two day off uh, protocol for microdosing psilocybin, today happened to be an on day. Mm-hmm. And so um, took my little tincture this morning, which is very much not a psychoactive dose. But I thought, oh, that's actually a perfect day to do it. You know, it wouldn't hurt to have like a little some some in there mm-hmm. in the old dome, you know? So I did that. And um, I don't know that it necessarily added anything to the experience based on the two times before that I'd used the Luciolite. Probably didn't hurt at all, but um, what about the combination of different, you know, psychedelics, whether they be synthetic or, you know, plant medicines and things like that and the Lucia light. And I know you probably have to tread lightly here because, you know, you're involved in a, you know, organization that has to be accountable, but Mm -hmm. what, what do you have to say about that? Yeah. So, I mean, I have a few things to say about it. First of all, you know, more of our kind of official position 
is that we really recommend not taking anything else because kind of one of the main things about the Lucia is remembering that you don't need anything besides you to access these experiences. Lights are shining on what's already there. You know, after one Lucia light experience, you can close your eyes and sit in the sun. I mean, you can go like this with your hands in front of your eyes. It's just open hands crossing each other. And you actually get a little bit of that experience. And if, if you already had a deep experience there, you kind of know how to go back there. And that's kind of what we're working with people to teach them that like this is already within you. And we're just showing you a way to access what's there and you don't need to take anything outside of yourself. Um, so, you know, we don't offer those sessions in combination. Um, that being said... I've, uh, you know, been to festivals, right? And I was actually really like terrified at first to like take the light to festivals because I'm like, oh my God, people are going to be on all kinds of drugs. Like, is this safe? Is this responsible? Like, is this, you know, what's going to happen? And, um, you know, as I mentioned, I'm kind of a nerd. So I was doing some research on different studies and I came upon the the strangest study and it was about... um, It was about a like a baboon that had light sensitive epilepsy. And so, you know, if it was around a flashing light, it would have a seizure. And now gets the interesting part. I don't know who funded the study or, you know, it's very, or like who thought to do this, but basically they gave this, um, I believe it was a bamboo, uh, LSD. And then they put it under a flashing light and it did not have a seizure. And I was like, whoa, like that's interesting. So, I mean, I, you know, again, I was like, well, you know, that's not like our mission and I was curious, um, but it kind of relieved some of the anxiety I had in terms of like what would happen. Um, you know, legally we on our informed consent forms really have people make sure that they're not on anything because um, we can't be responsible for what would happen. Everyone's different, you know, and, you know, we definitely don't want to encourage people to take psychedelics and come. I mean, even if even if in the case that during the experience, it was fine. If you have to get in your car and drive afterwards and you're already really relaxed and now you're on a psychedelic, like it's just like, wow, that's, you know, really not safe. So um, I wouldn't recommend that, but I haven't had any, you know, adverse experiences from people doing it. And I think it would be um, interesting to see how things could move forward if and when um, such things are legalized. Cool. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something I've found um, useful lately, as I was telling you a little bit before we recorded, is a, a microdosing of ketamine, mm-hmm. which anytime I mention that to someone, they're like, what are you you're using, man? Like you go into a rave. I'm like, no, that's like, <laughs> that's a completely different thing. And research it, you'll know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of um, clinical data as to the efficacy of ketamine in in small micro doses, especially if mm-hmm. it's administered over a long period of time um, to treat sometimes depression and cure people of depression in one three hour session. I mean, this was mm-hmm. a psychiatrist. So in that kind of setting in a, in a micro dose uh, capacity, I think those are actually large doses. Though, well, yeah, but with, with a doctor, that's a different thing. Yeah, I'm not okay. talking about that. I'm just saying there, there, there's evidence to suggest that it has therapeutic uses sure. other than going to a rave and going in a K-hole and like walking into the fucking wall over and over again or whatever, right? <laughs> if that's your thing, hey, yeah. knock yourself out. No pun intended. <laughs> but uh, oh I'm talking about for introspective work, mm-hmm. self-discovery, yeah. you know, self-therapy. Um, so I've done it, I don't know, a few times during meditation and I haven't really cracked the code. Like I sense hmm, there's something there and it's a very subtle kind of experience. It's not like, 
you're wasted or something. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I'm thinking of ketamine as on those shows, like the, um, you know, like those addict shows, what was the one intervention? Uh-huh. Like you see a kid on ketamine, you're like, Oh shit, I'm never doing that. <laughs> I mean, they're like literally just walking into the wall. It just oh completely gosh, it does like not falling look, over. Yeah. In the middle does, of, does not look terrifying. fun. So I was a little apprehensive, but take a tiny, tiny amount. And, um, I took it a couple of times and I was like, okay, this could be useful for something. I'm not really sure what, but then I did it um, very recently with the new calm experience that I described. And also then, it, you know, that was an hour and then that was over. And I was like, mm, I could use some more of this because I was working out a lot of stuff mm-hmm. um, out of the subconscious and visioning and all kinds of stuff, manifestation type stuff. And then I did the brain tap right after while I was still in it. I ended up spending about two and a half hours with that experience. And, um, again, like it's a, it's a light enough where you could pop out of it if you wanted to, but you don't really want to because mm-hmm. you're, you're making progress kind of sorting things out. And I was thinking, wow, that could be a really unique experience, that particular, um, compound mm-hmm. with the Lucia light. So of course you're not authorizing that people do that. I'm just speaking out loud. That could be mm-hmm. a curiosity because it's almost it's mildly psychedelic. There are some visuals and that's why it's great for visualizing your future and using it for something mm-hmm. positive. Um, but it's also a bit, uh, a bit of a sedative mm-hmm. and it is a bit disassociative. So it's really easy to kind of forget about your body, which happens to me in meditation. Anyway, you're like, Whoa, I have an arm, you know, or the dog moves totally. or something. I'm like, Oh shit. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. But it was, it's an interesting interesting thing that I'm looking forward to kind of consciously yeah. experimenting with a bit more. It is an interesting thing. And I would just say, you know, like a, a word of caution for um, people who do have addiction history. It seems like you've, you know, gotten really far on your path with that. And um, so you're in a different space, but I think that... Well, we'll see. I don't know if, that, <laughs> if my podcast stops coming out one week, someone check on me. Yeah, right. Oh my gosh. I'll be worried. I'm like, we know what happened. Yeah. Um, if you but... see me scrounging around on 6th and Alvarado in downtown LA looking unkempt, please somebody put me in rehab. Um, but yeah, but it is interesting actually, because actually at the Science and Non-Duality Conference, um, a researcher came up to me and said, wow, you know, like some people have actually compared the Lucia light to ketamine. It's always interesting to me what drug the light is compared to. And right. I'm like, it's just the light. Let's not compare it, but it's a totally different thing. Um, but, and she was comparing it to ketamine and saying that, wow, she really wishes that the Lucia could be used in research instead of ketamine because of the potential for abuse with ketamine. And, um, you know, I think that it is interesting to look at how like, yes, there's like some potential there, but for anyone who has a past history of addiction, um, and isn't to the place that you're at, um, to be really real with yourself before trying something like that. Cause it is like really dissociative and any kind of dissociative is like the number one thing you're going to do if you're trying to escape pain and misery in your life. Right. And, you know, it's like, I actually, you know, among many other people, I'm sure know of, um, I had some good friends in the UK who really abused ketamine and it didn't start like that. You know, it started with a, you know, like you can have an ego death and that's why it's can be used for treatment resistant, um, you know, depression. But again, if you don't do the work, um, with integrating that and changing your life ecology, as I like calling it, um, then, you know, it creeps back and, so I've seen actually, even with people just kind of using it for depression. Um, and again, this is more in the larger doses, although I've seen a lot of people kind of partying on the smaller doses as well. But um, I have seen that people 
you, it does work to actually get you out of that depression. It can work. Um, and But even when done kind of clinically, there is much more potential to kind of link that in some way that you can kind of like, oh, it's not, I'm just having this ego death experience and like, it can just like slip in. And yeah. then suddenly you're like, yeah. oh, I'm doing that. And now your bladder has holes in it and you're falling all over the place. And you know, there's like Thank a you. lot of really gnarly things there. So I would just say like, you know, and again, that kind of comes back to my, it's almost like this like great mother protectiveness around people like working with these medicines. I'm just like, okay, whoa, like, let's just like slow down for a second. You know, like these are powerful things. And, you know, again, it depends where you're at. Like, and just be really radically honest with yourself. If you're on your path, like, where am I at? Is this safe to me to like open this door at all? Or like, you know, at least making sure like, am I telling anyone about it? Do I feel comfortable? Like asking yourself those things, you know, is this something I'm hiding from people? Like, like just notice how you're approaching these things if you feel open to exploring with any of these things. Cause it's like, you'll know right there if you're being honest with yourself, what it is. And I think that um, in terms of the spectrum of psychedelics, that ketamine is definitely um, the w- number one that, you know, on the kind of, Ooh, what could be abused in the psychedelic realm? That's like number one, like MDMA and, and ketamine are like the most, potential for abuse. Um, so I just, just be aware of that. And, you know, again, I'm all about psychedelic exploration and consciousness expansion. And I just think whenever we're sharing with anyone about these experiences, um, if, you know, depending where we are on our path and how we're experiencing it, that like, I please ask people to be respectful and conscious because we don't know what people have gone through or where they're at and how they're going to receive and implement this information. Well, thank you for being the responsible one. That's the that's the statement that I should have just given. Because <laughs> I know a lot of a lot of people in recovery listen to the show, you know, and they're probably like, "This dude's off the fucking rails," or they're like, "Oh, well, he's doing it. I should do that too." And so I know, as someone who really suffered under the bondage of addiction for a long, long time, I mean, from the time I was a little kid until I was twenty six, mm-hmm. um, I know what a horrific way of life that is mm-hmm. and how it it really is torture you know at a certain point fun for a while then you know fun with problems then problems then problems with problems that's yeah. how that shit goes yeah. if you're wired like some of us are yeah. I know some people they party like rock stars and have a great career and a family and you know they can totally control it i'm not that guy so the i think what you said in there that's really key is the radical self-honesty because denial is so insidious and it's so easy for your addict or alcoholic mind to be like oh no i'm doing this to become spiritual and it's yeah. it really is a very very slippery I'll just try slope. a little more today you know yeah. it's like so so yeah. i i appreciate you saying that it's good for me to hear to be reminded of also because i still have that little devil on my shoulder that's like no you're good do it again yeah uh, but if i personally like for me the barometer is like the secrecy right like mm-hmm. am i not telling anyone um, for me, it's like, I know I would be having a problem with something if I'm out somewhere and I'm like, I got to get home and get to the thing. Uh-huh. Or if I'm running out, I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm running out of the thing. Mm-hmm. I remember that because that was my whole life. My whole life was about like some little baggie of some little thing that's in my room and I know exactly where it is and how much there is left and can I get more and like, yeah, just mm-hmm. all of that. And I personally never experienced that um, at all, except maybe with coffee. 
<laughs> it's probably the my most like I'm most addicted to my just one morning coffee. Yeah, you know, I don't drink it all day, but I have that one too. If I'm like run out of coffee, I get crackhead vibes. You know, I'm like okay, I got to place an order, get five pounds this time. <laughs> but um, it's funny yeah. with ketamine though, like it's not entirely pleasant. That's even in a small small dose. It's where true. for me at least personally, where it is as I said, mildly psychoactive, but however much it is, is like, I would never feel like, oh, sick. Like, that's kind of fun. Let me do five times as much or let me do it every day or wake up in the morning or do it like, oh, gross. Totally. But I do know that a lot of people do do have that problem. Mm-hmm. And that's why even when I was contemplating doing ayahuasca, I was like, I would ask people that were very experienced with plant medicines. And I'm like, yeah, but dude, like, what if I want to, you know, start using it as an escape or like a party drug? And everyone that's done a lot of ayahuasca is like, uh, no, dude, <laughs> like this is not the thing you're going to like want to take some home and keep it in the fridge and like just party yeah. on and like, yeah. you know, listen to music and just hang out. They're like it's, it kicks your ass. And, uh, and once I went and did it, I was like, oh yeah, definitely. Like I'm not going to walk out of here and be like, yo, where can I get some ayahuasca? Yeah, you know, exactly. it's, well, it's not that thing. So. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that's so great about psychedelics and why they are finding this more of this opening, you know, in terms of that. Cause yeah, the legit ones, you know, like some of them are really, oh really powerful God. and that's why you should be, you know, in a safe container where you're feel, you know, feeling held and you're not going to get more traumatized. And also knowing that, you know, but even that, like I said, I know people who go every month that's an addiction to me. It doesn't matter if it's like every day, but like, again, it's like about implementing it. So anyway, I just think it's a fascinating time because it's like, you know, with that radical self-honesty, why am I doing any of these things? And you don't have to be an addict to ask yourself that, you know, just look at your path and there's so many distractions. And, you know, really at the end of the day, we don't need much, you know, we don't, we really don't need much, you know, like you can go live a very simple life and, you know, I, I love the tech. I love getting, you know, trying new experiences and all this stuff. But like in terms of coming down to the base level of like how to live a healthy life, it's pretty simple, you know, get Thank some good sleep and, you know, like eat healthy and love yourself right. and do the things you do with love and have gratitude in your life every day. You know, like these are the basics. And, you know, I think that sometimes we can forget that too, because there's so much to add on. And, you know, I can definitely feel that. And, um, you know, I've, I think there's two extremes. There's extremes on either side of that where, you know, people are denying technology or like, you know, all of that. And, you know, it's like, well, we are going to be in, bathed in 5G here pretty soon if this is what's going forward. So we do need to kind of really consider like how we can use this tech in all these different ways. But also the other side of that is remembering like, you know what, one of the coolest techs I've ever discovered is my breath, you know, like the awareness of my own breathing can change my life. So like, I just think that it's, it's fun and interesting. And, you know, I think that sometimes like listening to these shows can almost develop a different kind of addictive, like inspiration to be like, I need to buy that. I need to buy that. And I need to try this. And, you know, and it's also like, Ooh, watch that too. Cause that's a, that's an interesting one. And if you're on the, the spiritual path of coming more into the present, you know, it's like, how are you using the things you have? Like, are you, you know, like what's really working for you? Or like streamlining what really works and, um, or like, instead of, you know, like, it's great. I think for some people, even with the Lucia, like buying a Lucia can be an amazing thing to implement it in your life as a practice to help change your nervous system, to rewire, to get into these deeper states of meditation. But, you know, for other people, 
maybe you're actually going to get more benefit from going to see somebody who has one once a week and have that human connection with them and have them hold space for you and like drop into this experience in a beautiful way. It's not always just like, oh, I need to buy it for myself. It's like, you know, great. Yeah. If you've really feel the call and you know in your heart when you really feel the call, you're like, oh my God, this is like calling me, you know, but if it's not that, you know, then there's other ways to experience these things. And, you know, and sometimes it's the human connection that we need more than anything else the community or the connection with nature. And we can just like throw it off as, you know, being something else. But if you find yourself continuously unsatisfied with the things that you are doing, then, you know, it's good to to reflect on that a little bit too. That's hilarious that you brought that up. And that's also true because this morning I woke up and um, I don't know, it's just like everything, just emails going off. There's all these meetings and all this stuff. Just life was super activated and I was not. And I slept until nine and was do my morning. My morning routine is like a couple hours just to become me, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was like, oh, well, I'm feeling, am I feeling a little off? I was kind of self-obsessed with like, how do I feel? Am I okay? Do I feel focused? Am I happy? I don't know. I'm not that happy. Just like really in myself and in not a positive sense. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was like, well, I'll go up and do the red light thing. Then I'll get in an ice bath and, you know, I do all the shit. And it's like always things from outside of myself that I'm implementing to change the way that I feel inside. And I Mm -hmm. have some self-awareness of that and Mm -hmm. play with that. But I did have the awareness today. I was like, Luke, you know, when you feel like this, most of the time you just need to call a really close friend and just like tell them your fucking problems, you know, and just like relate to someone in a really honest, vulnerable way. And then you hang Mm -hmm. up the phone after 20 or 30 minutes and it impacted more than all that shit that you have in your house and every goddamn supplement and everything at lukestory.com forward slash store. And it's a great reminder for me. And I also want to tell people that because I know that people listen to the show and they're like, I need a Lucia light. I need the, this, you know, the juve light. I need the sauna. I need the biocharger, the amp coil, all these things that are like thousands of dollars. And it's great when people, you know, can roll like that. But I think the, thing that you're saying, just the one thing to take away from me is human connection. I mean, sometimes like days go by and I haven't even gotten a hug from a person. Mm. I live up in the hills and I'm just like, I don't know. It's just the way my life is right now. Yeah, Single and whatnot. And Mm so I'm like, shit, I'm not really connecting with people. I'm kind of like in a hermit mode. Mm -hmm. And then that sort of self-perpetuates that sense of existential loneliness or isolation that my my subconscious and or nervous system is like, okay, what can we put in us or around us to change yeah. the way we feel? Because we don't feel fulfilled and nurtured. Yeah. When really the fulfillment of nurture and nurturing is primarily from being around other people. Yeah. That you it's care about connection. and care about you. Physical yeah, so. touch, closeness. Yeah, all that. You know, all so that. I need hugs after this, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we can give you some hugs, <laughs> But thank you, thank you for doing that because people, you know, like I, I just love all this stuff. It's my job. It's my hobby. And so doing all the things is just how I'm fucking wired. I just have had to love and accept myself for being that guy who's just like, I don't know, it's just my thing. But I always like to tell people um, in addition to the connection is like get in the sun, you know, getting yeah. some cold water, getting some hot springs, get in a sauna, like the sauna costs money, but breath work, mm-hmm. conscious breathing, mm-hmm. prayer, hugs, reading a beautiful spiritual passage from a powerful book. I mean, yeah. there's the things that really move you and transform you are mostly free and they're mostly from nature. 
Exactly. And then for the other things, it's like, be patient with it. If it calls to you, it calls to you, you know? Yeah. Some things really call to you and you like, can't get it out of your head. And that's what happened with this damn thing, man. I was like, I try all kinds of shit at the conferences. You know what I mean? Like I have, I don't even remember most of them. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, bells and whistles, cool, whatever. That was fun. I think I feel something, do I? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But this particular thing, I mean, I, to the point I came home and was like, okay, I'm going to find this shit. And I, I couldn't find it around here Mm because I would just go to a practitioner. Mm -hmm. So this, um, this light really stuck with me. There's a, just a couple of things I wanted, wanted to ask you, um, sure. while we're still, we'll stay here and we'll still here and we'll wrap it up in a minute. Um, one was, uh, in, in terms of the studies that have been done, seeing what parts of the brain light up, is there any indication that this is affecting your pineal gland? A, B, as you said, everything we need is already within us. Is there any indication that you know, because we have our DMT within us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's related, I think, to the pineal gland. Is there anything that's going on on a neurotransmitter, hormonal, brain level that would indicate that the pineal gland and the DMT situation that is within us is being activated? Yeah. So it's a little bit of a tricky one because of where science is. Um, you know, David Strassman was really all about, you know, the the spirit molecule and, you know, DMT and kind of activating the third eye and really saying that it comes from the third eye, but it was kind of more of a, you know, postulation because one of the interesting things is when DMT is endogenously released into your bloodstream, which just means naturally released, um, we have about 10 seconds to measure it before it disappears. So, or like maybe it's like 10 minutes, but it's like a really, really short period of time that it's going to be in your bloodstream. So it's been really challenging, especially with prohibitions, even though it's related, it's something that's already being produced within your body to get, you know, any kind of funding for any study that can prove, you know, DMT is being released in your blood. So a lot of people kind of make this claim like, yes, it's activating your pineal gland or decalcifying your pineal gland. And like, we haven't been able to prove that Um, as any kind of energy aware person would notice it's definitely activating. I would say the word activating, because that's something that we can acknowledge. It's like, yes, some people really even feel a pulsation there. People who've worked with it for a long time anecdotally share that they, you know, feel more, you know, aware of their intuition. They have more kind of visionary capabilities. I mean, even in the visionary experience of seeing all these colors and patterns and everything during the experience and beyond is very, um, you know, third eye-esque. Um, but in terms of actual studies, uh, we've been a little more limited in our possibilities there. And, you know, the doctors who created the Lucia are also more on the side of looking at the open possibility of like everything that it could be, you know, like we had someone give a talk a couple of years ago at the conference about people with really severe cancer and how he did this pro- protocol with them. And then he would, you know, get them all amped about their life. You can do anything. You can change anything. Or you want to do it. You really want to do it. Like really getting them there and then having them do light experience and <sighs> cancer's gone, you know, like, this is anecdotal. This is like a very right. specific thing. Does it mean like if you have cancer and you do the Lucia light once, it's gone? No, but it's like reminding that if we leave open this incredible space and don't try to define it too much with specific studies about what exactly is happening when, you know, a lot of what's happening in the brain, we're just like little apes still like poking at it, like brain, brain, <laughs> you know, like we really don't know. Like, 
the infinite complexity of connection and magic that's like happening in there all the time, even to just have this conversation would like blow our minds. Like we're like still apes in that sense. We really can't perceive and to that extent. Um, and so like, you know, the even big leaps in brain science, you know, you didn't even think neuroplasticity existed until up to about 10 years ago. Like, well, you're screwed. Good luck with that. You know, it's like, no, you can totally remake anything. So, you know, we're really like slowly coming into being able to prove these things scientifically. And I, so I think that's one aspect of the Lucy experience. And, you know, from the creators themselves, they really say like, if you get too in your head about it, you should probably just not even try it because like it's it's more about, you know, like actually the experience itself and seeing like where you're at and your reflection in the experience and seeing what's possible for you in that moment. And when you're really embracing the possibility of everything, is it decalcifying your pineal gland? Yeah. Is it, you know, like activating, you know, creating positive neural networks? Like, yeah. Is it doing all these? Is it releasing DMT in your blood? Like, yeah, it's like totally possible. Like all these things are really possible. Is it happening like on a measurable scientific study that we have published? Not yet. And we'll see if we do. But um, yeah, there haven't really been any. They're not quite as interested in... um, the pineal gland or, you know, a lot of this kind of esoteric realms. Um, But yeah, I mean, I would say from my experience personally, from what I've seen with working with this for years now, that absolutely, I mean, huge experiences happen. I mean, even my first experience that I explained, I really believe I had a DMT release. It felt like DMT, you know, I've uh, had a few experiences, like I mentioned with ayahuasca and DMT and it was that, like, it wasn't like a, you know, something else. And yes, it just came from light. So it was something endogenously produced within myself. So there's something, a different like feeling to it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was that deep of an experience. So again, I think the the cool and sometimes frustrating part about the Lucy Light is that so much is possible. And yet like, you know, our own expectations and yeah, our biggest limitation into into what that can be. So whether we expect like or need to prove it or whether we just go in like knowing this is what we want to get from it, you know, like those are the things that actually hold us back from having, you know, the fullest life and the fullest experience in the Lucia light. That makes perfect sense. And I also suspect that there is something there happening. And at the end of the day, who cares? Like, do you need to know? <laughs> it makes you feel better, you know? Yeah. But I, I think what made me think of that was A, because the, the visual experience is so psychedelic and so reminiscent of of uh, the DMT kind of uh, visuals that happen. But also, you know, I'm really, I'm just totally obsessed with Joe Dispenza's work right now and mm-hmm. all the stuff that he talks about in terms of just the physiology of the brain and all of this stuff. Um and the practices that he recommends in his meditations and things like that, he doesn't call them this. But when I hear his stuff, I'm like, dude, this is Kundalini yoga. Yeah. I mean, he's literally describing so many of the practices that Yogi Bhajan, who's up on the wall there, mm-hmm. um, you know, brought to America and carried through these traditions um, from India. And these are the kind of psychedelic experiences you can have working with your breath and the energy centers and holding the energy and moving the energy around and it's all energy within you. Mm -hmm. And it does at times have a very cathartic emotional experience Mm -hmm. associated with it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and also can totally rearrange your psyche in the best possible sense and produce yeah. these spontaneous healings. Absolutely. And it is, it's in the realm of the mystical. And so you have scientists that are like, we want to understand how it works so we can quantify it. <laughs> yeah. And I love that too. That's yeah. why I ask questions like that because totally, I, yeah. I have that part. I have that part too. <laughs> and also the part that's just like, nah, who cares? It feels good. Like Kundalini Yoga, when I started doing it, I was like, you guys are fucking nuts. You got to be kidding me. Like what you're doing what with your hands? Why? What's the purpose? Yeah. And then Yogi Bhajan would, you know, because oftentimes he's quoted in the in the sets as we call them. You know, the teacher just kind of reads what Yogi Bhajan said. And he's like, mm-hmm. this decalcifies the pineal gland and moves your magnetic field into the stratosphere. You know, and you're like, really, dude? Like, I'm open-minded, but this sounds like bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And then fast forward eight, nine years yeah. and hearing Joe Dispenza go, no, scientifically, your magnetic field is expanding yeah. into your aura. Da, da, da. This is, you yeah. know, this is what we can clinically verify. And it's like, oh my God, these ancient practices and are really working. Yeah. yeah this work that yeah. we can do with our breath and energy um, really produce some incredible experiences. And if you, as you said, if you can learn how to integrate them and have some help, I can really transform you. Mm-hmm. I had this happen too with um, the early iterations of the Wim Hof training I was doing a few years ago. Uh, he had one particular breath exercise, which was very similar, like a longer period, kind of like holotropic breathing. Mm-hmm. I think maybe is where he borrowed it from. And he literally called it the DMT breath. <laughs> and at the end, there's like a long kind of pretty vigorous in and out. And at the end, um, I think you like hold, hold your breath. Yeah. You yeah. hold the exhale until mm-hmm. you like, you're getting the T-Rex hands and everything. And then, <laughs> and then there's an inhale yeah. that you hold and then your brain just goes and you are tripping balls and people are laughing, crying. And he's like, yeah, that's the DMT part. Well, exactly. And I mean, you can, you can even do that under the light. Oh, no way. Breath work under the light. (laughs) Oh my God. Kind of like advanced practice. I'm in. Come over tomorrow. We're going to do advanced practice. Uh I'm going to take a bunch of psychedelics, do a bunch of breath work. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, okay, so last thing we got to talk about because uh-huh. this is the drum roll. Yeah. Everyone's like, okay, dude, we get it. This is awesome. How much does it cost? Where do we get it? Now, this is where we get into the, for some people, womp, womp. There aren't that many, you know, this, I think most of our listeners are in the States. There aren't that many of them around. Some are private owners that just hook up their friends. There are practitioners. Um, and there's two models, one of them being twenty three thousand mm-hmm. dollars, one of them being seventy five hundred. Do I have that right? Mm-hmm. The you know sink of single use, and then the practitioner one. You can fit a few heads under at once. Yeah, you can get them out to six people. Maximum. Okay. Uh-huh. And so, um, you know, how many people have these? If someone wanted to find someone, oh yeah, I live in you know Miami. I want to find one around here. How do people figure out? where they are that they can go do sessions if they can't Mm -hmm. be so fortunate as to afford one themselves. Yeah. Well, yeah. So there's a few different things there. Um, First of all, I would like to start by saying that, you know, the reason that they're so expensive, you know, because a lot of people actually respond quite angrily to me when I send them the brochure after they request it. I've been going through this for a while, but, um, you know, and I kind of had a little bit of that experience myself. Like, why is this so expensive? Like, come on, you know, but um, a lot of research and development went into creating this um, and being able to get it really like such specific frequencies. Okay. And um, also, um, you know, and just 
I don't know, the quality of it. Like you could try it and you're like, wow, this is amazing. And that quality extends from the original creator's like intention of the experience, right? Like we were speaking of earlier, like there's all this like conscious tech and it's like, oh, it's like made in a factory in China, like, and you don't know where it is or what those conditions are. That's being imprinted into the product, one. Two, you're being pretty irresponsible by supporting that. If you're like doing it for consciousness, it's just something to think about. Like, hmm, how conscious is this? And like, does like it Like having your consciousness device uh, manufactured in a slave labor camp Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's a lot of things. Like, right. just like, just Like my think iPhone right here. I'm like, every I time I pick up my iPhone, I'm like, ah, oh, there's like bad yeah. juju behind that. Yeah. And look at the iPhone. It's like how, you know, what yeah, that costs. And it's like built to, you know, it's designed to break down in a few years. So that's also like a really intense karmic thing going on there. Um, but yeah, so basically um, a lot of the cost comes from the fact that it's it's a medical grade device. It's not a medical device. It doesn't treat, cure, heal, anything like that, but it's designed to be the same capacity. So it's all made of local materials in Austria. Um, you know, they get the sheet metal, everything there, like local. Um, there's just a few different, there's an amazing engineer, Yuri, who has this heart of gold and super genius who, um, you know, brought this to life from a concept um, and an initial attempt with an espresso maker uh, <laughs> to be what it is now. Um, but, you know, it's a lot of work that kind of goes into it. And then even just like making each part, it's really made to last. You know, he would say like, oh, you can bury it underground for a hundred years and it still works when it comes up. It's like family heirloom level. So if you think about it, it's something that, you know, and the creators are really about that too. They're like, yeah, it's expensive because like, you know, we want you to use it. Like we want you to feel a real call. And that's why I'd say too, you know, you can go um, to find a session and which if you're looking for that, you can look at my website, which is um, lucialightexperience.com. And then if you look under book a session, we have different portals and I will be updating it within the next week. So feel free to shoot me an email if you don't see any place near you because we do have some new practitioners and I've just been so busy buzzing around these conferences and my own life that I've been a little behind in updating, but we have even more than are on there. Um, so yeah, so it's made really high quality and to last. And so, you know, and the, the goal was initially that, again, it wasn't really made for personal use. It was made for... Um, practitioners to work with people because they really trust that human connection as well. Um, now with the home portal, which I was really excited about, I've been excited and kind of like, let's do this for like years. Like we need uh, something for our own. You know, there's a way to have it um, on a cheaper cost. Um, and it's really good for giving yourself sessions because it's just right above you. Um, but even then we do recommend that you do like several sessions with someone or like if you just buy it, you know, like have a friend sit with you and hold space for each other, sit there, you know, if it gets too bright, you have someone to turn it down for you. You have someone to share your experience with, you know, because again, it's like these technologies can be isolating. If you get all these tech in your house and you have no friends and you're just doing all this thing, like your heart's still lacking, you know, you need, like you need to nourish that. So it's like, it's something to share. That's always been one of the things as well. Um, but yeah, we do sell them. Um, I'm a US distributor and international distributor. So you can reach out to me. My contact info is on here. Um, Allison Lucia Light at Gmail um, or you know, the traveling light machine at Gmail. But yeah, um, we'll have the contact um, on the session notes. And yeah, you can definitely reach out and get one. Um, I'm a trainer. So I do trainings as well. Um, if you're interested in being a practitioner, where, you know, like there is a demand every day, I get emails from people like, where can I do this? And, you know, there's only about 
30 places in the whole U.S. where you can publicly go. There's several hundred, um, there's about three or 400 lights in existence right now, which is still pretty low for um, how long it's been around. But um, yeah, it's kind of, it's growing in its popularity. And even just recently, I feel like there's been a sudden awareness of it. It's like almost like, you know, certain technologies like kind of are birthed before their time. And then they kind of reach a moment where people are like, wait, what is that? And I think it's like, you know, on par with this psychedelic awareness and expansion. It's like, hey, awesome. Here's a tool where you can have a psychedelic-like experience that's just with light. So you don't have to get into any of the risks or long sessions or side effects or, you know, all of that that you're dealing with, but, you know, have have this great experience. So yeah, if you're interested, reach out and um, yeah. I think that's one of the other interesting things about it is even though at times it can be a little intense and, you know, you're seeing this kaleidoscope of colors and it's just like, whoa, shit, what's going on? Mm -hmm. But to make it stop, you just open your eyes and you're completely gone yeah. and everything's normal. <laughs> yeah. Or you can just cover Which, your eyes. <laughs> yeah. Try doing that on three hits of blotter LSD. Yeah. Your ass is not coming down for a long time, kid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's one thing I think I never have my eyes cause I don't want it to end, but it's, it's, there is kind of like a, you know, a safe word, yeah. so to speak, where, you know, like at any moment, if you're like, okay, this is, I'm overstimulated here or whatever, you just like open your eyes and you're just like, oh, cool. There's a dresser, you know, there's yeah. a dog. It's just gone. Yeah. You can just roll you're, away from it. Cover you're your totally, eyes. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. And, um, as you were talking about how, you know, it's a way to have a psychedelic experience without taking anything. I was like, these things would be amazing in rehabs. Yes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where people are super depressed and anxious and just totally whacked out from years of wrecking themselves where it's so uplifting, like mood wise. And that's something you really need if you want to sustain, you know, abstinence too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I have a really wacky idea right now. It's going to be wacky to especially one person in the room. So my friend Ashley is sitting here. She's been hanging out. She restarted Instagram for me and she had this experience with us. Mm -hmm. And you can say no, it'll be fine because I only used your first name. It won't even be embarrassing. Would you get on the mic and explain just cold with, obviously I have not warned her, what your experience was like? You would? Okay, come over here. You're going to take my mic. I've never done this on the show before, but I just had the idea. So we we have like a real, you can sit right there. We have a real like, you know, um, newbie that just had this experience just randomly. She came over. I was like, dude, you got to come over. Allison's coming. It's going to be this rad thing. Just trust me. It's safe. It's awesome. And she trusted me and I think had a really positive experience. So I'm going to put the mic on you and you can tell us what it was like. Okay. Hello. Hi. Oh, this is nice. Okay. Um, Well, it was... It was actually pretty cool earlier when you were talking about your first experience, mm-hmm. because when we were up there earlier, kind of shared a little bit and I was still kind of in the moment of like feeling it and absorbing it and taking it all in, really excited about everything. But when you had mentioned um, that you felt like a spirit came to you, mm-hmm. the same thing happened during that longer period where we were experiencing mm-hmm. it. And I... Um, it was, it was just really cool because at one point it's the kaleidoscope images, the colors, the almost like geometry coming in and out and constantly like shaping itself. And then I said earlier, it felt like I was in a dream where I kind of like the base of like my peripherals was, I don't know, moving constantly changing shapes and forms. But then I saw like, 
outer space, like the stars and everything. Mm -hmm. And then at one moment during that, I felt, um, I saw a presence kind of like on the right side of my vision. Mm -hmm. And I just saw someone there and it was very comforting. Not like, like, oh, what's, you know, like, what's that? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, and and then again, I got so excited about what that was, almost like a control sort of thing. Like, should I prepare myself? Should I be like looking somewhere? Should I act differently? Um, and it just went away. But that moment kind of like opened, like made me realize like letting go in a way and not trying to fixate or control this experience that I'm having mm-hmm. and just being really open. I think that's kind of what allowed me to feel that presence there. Mm-hmm. Um and afterwards, too, I felt like this pulsating warmth right in the center. I wasn't sure. I was like, is it the light that's doing that? <laughs> but when you had mentioned it earlier, too, I was like, oh, I did have that. And I wanted to mention it and I didn't. But yeah, at first, it, my eyes were flickering like crazy. I wasn't even sure if they were like opening or not. And I was trying to keep them closed as long as possible. Mm-hmm. And then towards the very end, my eyes just felt, I felt like my entire energy levels were just different. I felt really calm, really in my body, like really connected to myself and my breath. And there was just a lot of ease Mm. in how I was feeling, which was really amazing. Because like I had said before, you know, this is all very new. And Mm -hmm. I felt like there was so much excitement and I was trying to contain it. And it just felt very jittery, sort of. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, I mean, this is kind of actually even, it's been a couple hours now. And I feel like that feeling is still, like it's, it's, I'm still in it. Beautiful. It's amazing. Mm. So, I mean, I hope that Thank you so much like, for sharing. That was beautiful. Yeah, thank you. It was, mm. I can't wait to do it again, hopefully, sometime soon. Absolutely. But yeah, thank you. Yay. Thank you. Well, there we go. I think I'm going to make a habit of that, you guys. I'm going to just be like putting people on blast that are hanging around <laughs> while I'm recording. Yeah, it's like, great. Hey, jump on the podcast. I once I once did something similar when I did the stem cell episode in uh, in in Salt Lake City at Dosair Clinics with Amy Killen and um, Harry Adelson, and I met a listener there who's like, "Hey, I live here. I'll show you where this great hot springs is." And uh, and she did, and we were driving down the road, and I was like, "Hey, be on my podcast." And I just interviewed her randomly. That was a long time ago, so thank you for for having the uh, the courage to be spontaneous with me, Ashley. And that was a really fun experience to hear your account of it because it was like your first time you had no expectations other than me just going like it's cool it's kind of trippy do it mm-hmm. so that was rad all right um you gave your shout outs on the website uh mention your instagram again traveling light machine traveling light machine and then i'm going to ask you my final question which is let me get cookie off the recorder come here monkey <laughs> don't click stop now <laughs> um <laughs> My final question is, I've learned a lot from you today, and uh, so has my audience. So who have been three teachers or teachings that have influenced your life and your work that they might be able to go research and also learn from? Mm, Interesting. Um, Well, if you're interested in this kind of thing, I think I've actually really learned a lot. I would give a first shout out to the inventors of the light. Um, especially Dr. Dirk Prockel, a neurologist. Um, And together they actually, Dirk and Engelbert put together this 
um, document called uh, neuropsychosis, which is really interesting. It's about like a procedure for working with people with the light and asking certain questions to kind of just like open more spaciousness before the experience. But yeah, I would really like to, you know, thank them and um, point towards the the writings and research that they have done so far and just the way that they work with people and also, you know, their their patients and working with me and um, in my own process of moving from kind of this very left brain intellectual, like wanting to have all the answers to like really opening up into like the the presence of of being. Um, and then in terms of other teachers um, or things to look up, um, I don't know. I would just almost say. I've, you know, there's been so many different teachers. I followed many different kind of lineages and whether it's spiritual or whatnot, but um, I would just say that, you know, like instead of looking externally, I would invite people to look within for more answers and, um, you know, really trusting your own wisdom um, and giving yourself that time. So I think when we really you know, there's a lot of, again, like this looking externally to figure things out. And like one of the kind of greatest things that I've realized is instead of like asking my friends for advice or like looking to follow people or, you know, oh, they're doing that, I should do that kind of energy. It's just some of the the deepest um, and, you know, most worthwhile moments of my own healing process and my own journey have just been like, cut out all the noise, you know, you can read all these inspirational teachings, you know, but take everything with a grain of salt and like really fill in what resonates with you on a really deep level, not just like, oh, that person's, you know, like famous or like, oh, you know, it's the Dalai Lama, I should believe everything they said. Like, you know, it's like really like tune into your own intuition. Like you are your best teacher. And it's like, you know, like, and when you actually just take that time to stop and really listen uh, and really listen, you know, there might be like three different voices. The first one might be like, oh, you don't know anything. And then the second one is like, how can I trust what I know? You know, but then if you just like keep listening, there comes like an even deeper, maybe quieter voice that can offer you some like incredible insight. And I think that's, that's what I recommend. I love that. That's funny. I always try to get people to uh, like, I want to corral you and confine you into like three people we can Google and go learn from. And then someone will be like, my grandmother or Jesus Christ. I'm like, okay. But yeah, you are your own guru, your own inner teacher. Um, and with that, I'm going to let you get away with two. Uh, normally I demand three, but the second one was so good. We're going to roll that into me, myself, and I yeah. as the three. <laughs> Thank you for joining me today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's great to see you. And thanks for bringing this incredible experience and technology to the world. It's Thank a real you for gift. having me and for sharing with so many people. I told you guys we're going to trip on this episode. Wild ride, is it not? I bet you're going, man, I want to try one of these lights. Well, you know, we'll find a way to make that happen for you very soon. Uh, until then, let's talk about next week's double episode, Jungle Journeys, My Ayahuasca Awakening at Soltara. It's a two-part episode, comes out on uh, Tuesday. Then again, Friday, we've got Choosing Your Ayahuasca Adventure, Rhythmia and Soltara side-by-side comparison. That one has come to you by popular demand. Uh, while I'm at it, since I'm talking so much about ayahuasca, I want to give the disclaimer that I don't think plant medicines are for everyone. I mean, when you're on it, you think they are, and then you come back to your senses and you realize they aren't. So I just want to say I, I am not uh, someone out to promote people taking mind-altering substances. 
as healing as and profound as they might be. Um, so I'm just going to put that out there. And that's why I go do these experiences myself and report back on them for you to decide yourself. But I'm not jumping on a bandwagon. I think these things should really be well thought out. And um, one should have prudence when deciding to partake in life-changing experiences such as ayahuasca. For me, it's been nothing but positive and uh, something that I'll probably continue my work with. But as I report on these things, I feel a responsibility and duty to the sacred nature of these medicines and the rich shamanic traditions from which they originate. So I'll just say that. But that said, please tune in on Tuesday and learn more. Again, the upcoming events, Upgrade Labs, Biohacking Conference, March 27th through 29th, Paleo Effects, April 24th through 26th, Meet Delic, May 2nd and 3rd. You can find out all about those, including tickets at lukestory.com forward slash events. You know, I've got sponsors on this show, right? And you know that I love them all, man. I work with some of the coolest companies, the most cutting edge brands, things that really move the needle for your health and even sometimes your consciousness. You can find all of our sponsors very easily over at lukestory.com forward slash store. When you shop at lukestory.com forward slash store, a little location I call the master market, it serves many purposes. It of course supports you and your health because I think I have pretty good taste in products and I'm and I'm decent at vetting these products. I don't just put anything on my store. It's got to be something I personally use, something I personally believe in, and something I've thoroughly researched and tried myself. Uh, it also saves you time because you don't have to sit there and read all the reviews for every single supplement and product and comparison shop and all that. You also get discounts on almost every product in the store. You're supporting really great companies that treat their customers and employees and factories and the places where all the herbs and all the things come from with great respect. Um, So you're really doing yourself and these companies a favor and you're doing your old pal Luke and my whole team at Crate Media and my uh, show producer Tati and everyone that helps me with everything I'm doing uh, by helping us make some commission on those sales through the store and of course the funding that the sponsors provide the show. As I increase the production value of the audio, the graphic design, the video, the travel that's necessary to go do these interviews in person rather than doing crappy interviews on Skype. No offense to podcasters that do Skype. I do it when I have to, but I really prefer to sit down with people in person. And all of this costs money, man. And um, (laughs) the better the production value gets, the more expensive it gets. It's funny how that works. So I so much appreciate you guys shopping in the store and supporting these great brands that believe in me and that believe in you and support the cause of the Lifestylist podcast, which is really to facilitate emotional, spiritual, and physical healing for everyone that listens. And based on the feedback I get on the show, it seems like that's really happening. And for that I'm humbled and grateful. Our first sponsor is Juve, J-O-O-V-V. You can find them at juve.com forward slash Luke. Enter the code Luke at checkout and get a surprise gift. I used my Juve today. Yeah, I always like to like be honest, you know, if I'm using something. I did about a 15 minute Juve session today, front and back. Did some curls with my little my little barbells while I was on the juice, stretched a little bit, did a little breath work, listened to, uh, today I was listening to a Ben Greenfield podcast about building testosterone. And funnily enough, he was talking about how effective red light therapy is when you get it on your nether regions as a male to increase your testosterone. I'm 49. I mean, it wouldn't hurt to have 
you know, high levels of testosterone. So that's what's up with the juve. Then we've got natural stacks, of course, that make the most awesome nootropic known as neurofuel, really good for brain health and brain function. You can find that at naturalstacks.com forward slash Luke. The code over at naturalstacks.com slash Luke is Luke story. That saves you 15%. And then we've got my old buddies at Cured Nutrition. You can go to curednutrition.com and Lifestylist saves you 15% off there. They have some great CBD products, all kinds of different foods and even pet treats and um, herbal and mushroom and CBD infused nootropics and sleep supplements and all kinds of rad cutting edge shit over at curednutrition.com. So thank you so much for joining me on today's episode with Allison Policier. I can't wait to jump back at you next week with the full download on my ayahuasca experience in Costa Rica at the end of 2019. Those episodes are going to be super freaky and I think you'll really get a kick out of them. So I'll see you then. Thank you so much for listening. Peace. Peace.